I think the claim that I'm making is a bunch of epistemic voices, like bad methodologies for thinking about things that are being encouraged in the type of way that Jordan Peterson is approaching these topics and Paul van der Klee and, and Peugeot and Viveki. And that those voices underpin the, the same conspiratorial thinking that leads people into like QAnon conspiracism, into like anti-vax conspiracism. Welcome to another episode. Um, we've got Nathan from the Digital Gnosis YouTube channel, and we have crossed paths because through Pine Creek. So Doug was the person who deconverted me, and I think the well, I mean, not exclusively, but the, my conversation with him was a major part of sort of like breaking the kind of worldview that I had, and I think because. I was in so deep on the philosophy and theology and stuff like, you know, I knew all of the kind of techniques that apologists sell. Um, I was reading all the books and all that sort of stuff. Um, the fact that it worked on me was sort of like a major selling point of that, you know, like, cause there are, you have a lot of conversations with people who are quite firmly entrenched in the types of beliefs that I had, and it doesn't always lead to success. So I think the fact that in my case it did lead to success um, was kind of something that was interesting for Doug, Doug to explore and for his audience to explore, like, you know, revisiting things with me and me talking about, like, my kind of journey and process and stuff. And then I started doing things on my YouTube channel around criticizing um, particularly fundamentalist religions, but most mostly, like, criticizing apologetics as well, attempts to essentially smooth over plot holes in theological stories and things. Um, and I think that that then attracted some people from Doug's audience, and um, there was some then some kind of, like, crossover, I suppose, in our channel goals. And just at that time in my life, it was kind of fun to hang out and, like, laugh at some of the kind of traumatizing things but also kind of like um silliness of the whole like apologetics thing and the way that some of these people behave and build the whole lives around you know like three pretty bad arguments or something i bent back um to get ready for this and watched your um how i became a christian video because you've left that up which i love by the way because <laughs> you have that up and then I'll put some links if people are interested because I'm not going to like replay it, but um, you have that. And then you have you reviewing like two weeks after you first talked to Doug yeah, that. And then you also have, I don't know how much later it was your second talk with Doug. You know, I've, you I've gone back and watched it a few times. Yeah. I think maybe I've got like three videos that are like reflecting at different points since yeah. or something like that. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, okay. What I want to do is, I kind of wanted to ask you, so I, I watched that video and then I just wanted to kind of summarize the way you described yourself and you can like correct me if I mess up the summary, but um, like you kind of started by saying you didn't feel like you were as good of a student as you could have been. Um, you described feeling abandoned because of your adoption. Uh, then you said you met your, your birth mom and that didn't really go well. And then you ended up in the hospital. Um, 
for a suicide attempt. You had broken relationships. You didn't know how, how, who you were or what was going on. And you said you were destroyed by porn and you were driven by anger. And so this is like your summary of your life up until you met Christianity. Right. And so I, um, I, I, so that, that's that video. And so it's just bizarre watching that and then seeing where you're at now. <laughs> when you joined Christianity, how did that come about? Did you have a friend that was Christian? Like, I think it was pretty much exclusively, well, not exclusively. Um, obviously, there was there are a lot of influences being raised in the UK that are like, it's it's kind of like the, de if you're going to become religious, it's the default cultural religion, you know, it's kind of built into the political system, the legal system, um, and built into the school system to some degree. It's not the like massively. The church that you joined? Uh, the Church of England, not that, well, it, the church that I joined was part of the Church of England, and the Church of England is quite a complicated organization. You know, like, there are a lot of things the Church of England is and does that I'm very supportive of still, um, but there are also within the Church of England, there's kind of like different sub-denominations almost. So the church I joined was like what's called like very low church, kind of evangelical. And in their attempts to understand and define themselves, a lot of their concerns are basically exported from US evangelicalism because that's the kind of content that they consume in terms of the books that they're reading, the problems that Christianity has to face in the world. They'll be listening to the sermons of, you know, those sorts of like evangelical preachers in the US. And so I think for a lot of the rest of the Church of England, you know, they it, it's almost like a kind of cultural social thing where there's kind of like biscuits and you can do some stuff to for like in your community and maybe like celebrate harvest or like it's just stuff like that right whereas the more low church fundamentalists really put like an emphasis on right doctrine right theology generally calvinist type theology um it's more sectarian it's more like us versus them we're in the world not of the world all your kids are on instagram and tiktok having their minds turned to mush by sex and we're, we're kind of pure in our in group and this is the pattern for you know like a lot a lot of these sorts of tropes come out in right. uh that okay so help me out with some terms so sectarian does that just mean that you're there's a certain sect that's correct and you were in the correct one is that what you mean by yeah by sectarian i just mean like very us versus them kind oh. of attitude like like polemical to those who aren't on the in group type thing okay the church that you participated in, how did you choose that one? Oh, yeah, sorry, another, you did like... ask. So um, the first thing that I was going to answer to your previous question was, I think the decision for me to go to church was actually driven by watching Jordan Peterson's um, biblical, psychological interpretation of the biblical series lectures. I'd watched his Maps of Meaning lectures and his Personality and Psychology lectures for multiple years, actually, before that. Um and his appearances on various podcasts and things. Um, and then he was like doing the psychological interpretation of the biblical series lectures at that time. And there was one of them, maybe the second or third, where in the Q&A session at the end, um, someone said something like about being having a question at a Bible study. So I think that I that sort of like just triggered a thought in me i was like oh people do like bible studies right i'm kind of enjoying this i'm like really enjoying listening to jordan peterson all the time so maybe like i'll find more people like this at a bible study 
so i just i searched um like the local churches that are around where i live and that was the one i found that seemed to have like a publicly um marketed and available bible study that would take place on a friday morning at um 6 a.m and so i just decided to start going um so that was basically how i made my decision <laughs> i didn't know much about christian theology and the differences and th between different denominations and things before that so you found a local church that was close nearby what kind of options did you have and did you so look there's... at a bunch and go i like this one because yeah i mean i i looked at um there's like another church that's kind of you know more community sort of one of those like cultural churches maybe more progressive in its theology i mean i not that i would have really understood that at the time to be completely honest but it just did they just didn't market that i don't know if they do bible studies maybe they do but at least it's not you can't find that out easily site right mm -hmm. um similarly there's another church around um just up the road actually in Hanforth, Hanforth Parish for people like, I, I don't know if you know the famous video Hanforth Parish Council, mm -mm. you know, the, uh, you have no authority here, Jackie Weaver during COVID where they're all bicker. It, it, it went viral, but that's actually the, the church for that parish would have, was one of the options as well. Hmm. And um, yeah, again, I couldn't find a Bible study um, through their website either very easily. Um and I knew, like, I had some school friends who, when they were younger, had, like, gone to this other church as well. So maybe that slightly influenced. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll go and check out, like, the type of Christianity that they were in. Um, in terms of other, I didn't really consider Catholicism, but my near to, to be fair to me, like, my nearest Catholic church is quite far away as well. There is a Catholic church here, um, but it's, like, one of those where you know, like they're only there for the mass every so often. And it's like shared with like another church that's a bit further away. So that's where they do most of their things. But presumably they do like RCIA course and stuff. But I didn't know anything about RCIA or whatever at the time. Don't think that there's not an Eastern Orthodox church for quite a while, though that was something I had considered because of Peterson mentioning his icon carver friend who was Eastern Orthodox. Um, so I'd like Googled about that. But then I was like, that's a bit far and inconvenient to get to though i did end up after i deconverted going to that eastern orthodox church a bit to kind of explore eastern orthodoxy but um and then yeah i can't think of other denominations really it just so yeah there's probably not there's just not a lot of like of the people you grew up around and stuff did you know a lot of people that were practicing christians or is it not, so not really or if they if yeah. they were they you didn't know about it so there were, I mean, there were definitely like two friends I can think of that were from Christian families. Um, I think both of them actually went to that church that I ended up going to, interestingly. And I think both of their parents stopped going at some point in their life. Um, and I don't, I don't know their reasons why, because like I've never really talked to them or anything. I think the one of the main reasons for the kids continuing to go was associated to Scouts being related to the church. So Scouts is like, um I, boy scouts i don't know like what the canadian or american equivalent is to be honest but like there's like a boy I, scout I think of america in fact yeah. the mormon church is like was very very married to that organiz organization right. and they probably kept it alive for a long time but they're no longer associated with each other okay 
So that's like similarly with scouts and the Church of England, like Bear Grylls, who runs, who's the head of like scouts in the UK, is a Christian as well. Um, and yeah, so I think I think they probably kind of hung around it because they were a part of that. And then I don't know if that how much how much that influenced me. To be honest, like maybe it did a little bit, but I don't know that it was like a major thing in my decision making. And I, I think another possibility is that I was sort of being driven slightly down the kind of like culture war, right leaning, uh, like YouTube algorithm pipeline at the time as well. So yes, a lot of I'm the videos of I was watching. Right Thank you. <laughs> a lot of the videos I was watching were like wrecked feminist videos, um, like um jesse lee peterson when he'd interview people and you know say like like he'd have someone on who was like a rapper or something and that it'd be all kind of you know sex-based lyrics in their rap songs or something and they wouldn't be very well articulated and then he'd just be like do you love your mother can you say that you love your father do you can you say i forgive you father and you're like you need god and stuff and i don't know what was going on well I, I sort of know what was going on at the time right i felt like i didn't fit in with all the fun and stuff that people around my age were having you know they're going out partying going off to university having like nice lives enjoying their youth and I kind of wasn't and I, I couldn't make sense of it I was in a lot of pain and you know I think I was when I was looking at conversations like that I was sort of thinking well yeah clearly like the people that are a part of that like contemporary culture of the youth have got it have got it wrong and actually like you know the people who are saying like turn to god and like ha have these conservative values and the real thing to aim for in life is to you know have your pregnant barefoot wife in the middle of a farm or whatever is they're, they're the they're the people who've got it right i mean not not quite exactly that but um you know th those are the, the kind of stereotypes that were um probably like running around in my head at the time hmm. so um how long did you like go to your bible study before you like really because you kind of you became part of the parish or whatever right like am i saying that yeah 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 um i don't know how long so i remember the very first time i turned up um um i can't remember exactly what they were talking about but we ended up talking about genesis for a bit and i remember bringing up all the um stuff that peterson said i mean i now sort of now having studied a bit at least of um you know, like biblical studies wouldn't necessarily go with a lot of what Peterson has to say about the Bible. He sort of gets it right every so often, but there's a lot of heterodox interpretation or kind of, but anyway, some of the things he said about like ancient Near Eastern stories influencing things that are happening in Genesis, for example, are, you know, that that statement on its own, let's say, is true, that the ancient Near Eastern stories have influenced um the stuff that's in Genesis. And I was bringing that up and talking about it, sort of mimicking the things that Peterson said. And I think for some of these evangelicals, that was quite interesting because they kind of read the Bible, not like that at all. <laughs> they read the Bible, you know, almost as if they're kind of talking to like God's just, just talking to them directly through the English text, kind of divorced from history quite a lot you know, divorced from literary styles of different cultures that might be kind of alien, to, you know, like that there's not a lot of thinking about there might be legwork to kind of translate a different thought world into our thought world. The idea 
in that community around like hermeneutic principles seems to be that there's like a truth that's embedded in the text so as we read it with the guidance of the holy spirit we'll like grasp that you're gonna have to remind me hermetics hermeneutic just like principles of interpretation for like um for uh, principles of like textual interpretation um basically and and the and one of the principles for for that group was that because the holy spirit's helping us as believers to interpret this text we can just kind of access that objective meaning of the text without really having to do without without kind of having to accept our limitations in terms of understanding that like culture that might be quite alien to us or without perhaps having to understand the ways that the English has been translated from different languages or textual variations that like all that stuff there I mean they're aware of it to some degree yeah Camille type stuff that they're aware they're aware that that stuff exists right but it's all kind of brushed under the carpet because it's like well look the Holy Spirit's gonna help I don't need that man like I I got Jesus (laughs) do you think there's any use in like using texts like that in I'm trying to think in like a non-objective way though like um do you think that's a useful practice at all depends what your goals are to me your goals Um, your goals being to help you see yourself in a way that might be better i guess like are there wisdom nuggets in there like do you think like i obviously i understand that people will interpret something they want to be objectively true about the world through the text which to me is absurd but um i i would like to bet that if I was disciplined enough to like read the Bible or ancient texts of some sort on a daily basis as like a meditative practice, it would probably be beneficial to me, but I am actually not disciplined enough to do that. I never have been, but anyway, I just curious about your thoughts on that. I I think there can be value in it. Um, For me, it's very careful. For me, it's very difficult to get it right because I need to be with a community of people who are kind of quite cautious and reflective and aware of the tendency to just project your own prejudices and biases into the text and then give them the kind of gravitas of, yeah, well, God agrees with me for like all of your biases and prejudices. (laughs) Absolutely. Because that's actually one of the, that's why my worldview of Mormonism fell apart is because I realized that the spiritual witness that I was depending on being true was obviously could possibly be me just wanting it to be true. Right. So like, and that's, I guess that's why I differentiate like the, the way that I've kind of um, see that now is I, I feel like your intuitions are helpful in helping you to make decisions in your life, but they're not really good at telling you about objective truth, obviously. <laughs> like That's kind of, that's kind of where I'm going with that. Like I wouldn't try to use my intuitions to try to make some kind of objective claim about reality, but as far as my day-to-day life, could it help me um, decide on what to value more than another? Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe like, I I can't tell you what your psychology is like. Right. But for, for me, at least the word intuition is quite a complicated one because it's not clear to me that it 
is like a noun that refers to some one type of psychological experience called intuition. It's like a word that I apply in a lot of very different contexts. And some of those contexts would be like, you know, maybe when I was reading the Bible as a Christian, like I, I would say, yeah, I had like an intuition that this is the correct interpretation. But maybe that same feeling of this is right or something, you know, it's sort of like the same feeling I might have had when I was doing A-level physics and I finished, you know, doing um, so, like some kind of like equation about the way that um, some body in space will um, orbit and the different forces acting on it or something in a question, right? Where that, in the one case, one of those is scientific and the other case, one of those is is theological. But the the way that intuition is sort of being used in both cases could be the same for me. Like it just kind of, there's a certain point where maybe I've used a, a type of method and something just rings true with me and I think it's right. Now, maybe something, maybe the difference is that in the case of the physics, you you know, maybe you make some further observations and like the predictions, whatever might turn out to be false. And so then it's, then you've got that correcting mechanism of, oh shit, I did get something wrong then, even though it felt right. And maybe in the theology, it's not so clear what kind of predictions fall out because it's more like, it tends to be more like moral claims about how you should behave or whatever, but it's not like from those should claims, you really get any like predictions about what will happen. And then you can make an observation and be like, oh yeah, so that actually didn't happen when I thought it would. Maybe the closest you get to that would be predictions around like um the return of jesus or something or you know like miracle events happening but that's a objective yeah. reality claim though that's not the kind of thing i'm talking about when you're reading the bible i'd be i'd be talking more about you go and you're you're reading the bible and you read the verse about um worry about the moat in your eye before the beam beam in your own eye before the right, moat in the, it, yeah. your neighbor's eye and then you go oh my oh my god like i've been I've been an asshole to so-and-so and I have like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. But, you know, but so, but let me try and sort of like draw the um, sort of like similarity between what I'm saying in physics. Right. So then suppose someone's telling you about like Newtonian gravity and you find out that like the, the um, forces that are acting between two bodies, the, the force that's acting between them, then it gets divided by, um, the distance between them squared, right? And then you realize that that squaring is because the further that they get apart, the force is, the force gets weaker by a factor that's getting squared. And it just kind of like, oh yeah, that just kind of like makes sense. I can kind of see it spatially. I can. Kind of, it's not clear what you're seeing or feeling, but isn't that uh, to me that's the same kind of sense of it just seems true to me or something like that, mm -hmm. right? That that I would get doing theology. I don't know if. Um, I guess I wouldn't. I don't know I'm if it's the same thing. I would different. call that intuition. Um, that to me feels like an aha moment. I, I just hmm. phrase it a little differently, I guess. Like where something clicks for you and you're like, oh, that makes sense. Hmm. Um, I don't know that I would call that intuition. Hmm. But this is why I say intuition is a very sticky sort of word, right? Because it's not, it's not clear to me. It's not like a it's not like a rigorously defined mathematical term or something, you know, where it's like clear, clear cut. Whatever, here's where you use it. Whatever that right, self-reflective kind of whatever that thing is, because it's like hard to know how our, and obviously it can be 
detrimental, which is, I, I think, why a community, like you were saying, a trusted community is good because you can beat yourself up for no reason and like be heading nowhere too. Like you can, for example, you could read a scripture or something and then it not be helpful the way that you are interpreting it for yourself even. Mm. Right. Like I can, I can see that too. But anyways, that was just a thought I had. Um, I guess, uh, Oh, another question I had, like, have you ever ran into Latter-day Saints like in real life? In yeah. Have yeah. I have in friends or, like what's your Not, uh, well James James Fodor James Fodor who's an ex Mormon would be probably my closest relationship who of someone who's an LDS or uh, ex LDS sure that but is. is that something that you have on your channel Yeah James who I do the bad apologetic series with um he's he probably in, in yeah uh, called James Fodor in my opinion he's one of the most intelligent people I know definitely the most well read across the sciences and philosophy and so his sort of clarity of thought when it comes, like, I think what he really loves is accurately and clearly explaining um, facts about things, whether it be like the sciences or political claims, philosophical claims. And because of his kind of like broad set of interests and how well read he is, he does a really great job at kind of like approaching philosophers claims about science or scientists claims about philosophy and kind of like bridging some of those gaps that people might have between so he's got a podcast called the science of everything for people who are interested hmm. um I'll have to link it i'm gonna make it yeah up. it's it's a, it, it's a really good um science podcast actually i've i've learned a lot from it um for example i always now remember um cations are positive because of positive um <laughs> but um <coughs> but yeah he, so so he he was a mormon um, and and left in terms of other from? people who i've met uh australia in, so, in terms I mean, of other people in real life like... physically mm -hmm. well i've met i've met uh, missionaries around like manchester i've not i've not actually met mis any missionaries when i've been in glasgow or london i currently live in london actually but um when i've been in manchester there's like a, a big missionary building that they'd built near the university and a, a few times i stopped and talked to the people who were there and actually had like street epistemology type conversations with them about the types of things that they believed and also just got to know them and like why that you know like their kind of like life story a little bit about what brought them because but by and large they tended to be like americans who were on mission for mm -hmm. some period of time in the uk so. i'm curious like what your perspective this is just out of my on curiosity like what was your perspective what's been your perspective of latter-day saints over time like when did you first become aware what do you what did you think about them like do you feel like how much do you know about now like anyway i th i think to some degree i was always like aware of them and jehovah's witnesses as like weird belief systems or something when i say always like from how, however long I remember being like reflective about religions existing and stuff like that. Um, so maybe not when I was like four, right? That but, was your first um, impression of, of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I think, yeah, my, my impression is, I think I find it kind of weird. Cause like, I remember, you know, like the, the symbol of the person with the horn, for example, like I remember seeing that on um, like buildings. I just find, is there something like weird about it? It symbol kind of like gives me an... a person with a horn. Yeah, like a person with a long horn like that. Oh, oh Angel Moroni. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but but even just that that imagery to me is just, it, it gives me like, it's always given me like an icky feeling. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what that is. Um, 
in terms of um the stuff i understand about mormon theology i mean like i understand that it's it's much more compatible with like naturalism and physicalism than some um but you believe in like pre well make, some people what say makes you say that i'm just curious because some of the mormons that i know um are like full-blown physicalists and naturalists and they the way that they talk about are you know um, active latter-day saints yeah yeah like uh Tariq delacour i'm thinking of um who's a phd in philosophy at uh texas university um and he and he tends to like have basically the same view as me are they like progressive about... mormons i'm not sure in terms of the politics to be honest how are, you, it, how are you aware of this person? I'm just curious. I don't know who that is. Well, I'm aware of them because their views on like philosophy of mind and stuff like that are so close to my own in terms of like the, the physicalist views, right? Um, and the reasons for which he'll reject a lot of like supernatural claims or um, views that include like souls or spooks or ghosts, whatever, are going to be um, like the same reasons I'd provide. So this, I always find it super interesting that this well, person- Well, I find like that interesting. How does that person, uh, <coughs> how does that person grapple with the fact that Joseph Smith claims to have physical gold plates that are historical documents? Well, does I'm not sure about, about that. that? Oh. I am probably somewhere. I, I mean, I'm it, because it's not something I'm that interested in. I've not really looked oh, I'm just into curious, the history around it. You're saying yeah. he's uh, not supernatural in his thinking, but that's part of the reason why. Yeah, I, like I couldn't participate anymore is because I wasn't agreeing. Well, maybe he'll stuff. have so maybe he'll have some supernatural thing then. But at least in you know, like in the vast majority of the types of things I'll talk about, like maybe out of body experiences, near death experiences, you know, like types of things that people ordinarily are claiming to be evidence of the supernatural at least he agrees with me on those maybe there are some that he doesn't agree with me on though like there's a the special pleading maybe somewhere or yeah. it's possible <laughs> that he really does have it uh, what i've found um since just kind of observing different people and having open conversations with people is that there's like no two latter-day saints that believe the same thing so i mean there are probably people that are really naturalistic in their theology too so that's totally possible but yeah i, fi I find it a, a, a kind of weird one but firstly because of i mean it's very kind of specific to the u.s a lot of the stuff that happened historically um and then i i mean a lot of the stuff i know about it is also influenced by that um cult documentary i watched recently on the fundamentalist letter day saints uh called keep sweet on netflix so that i i think that they were part of like the polygamous split off i understand that there was there's like a divide over polygamy and monogamy within mormonism um and i understand like a lot of the there's a lot of wealth because of the rules around like tithing and stuff and like they've even got their own university they quite proactively try to ensure that people receive a decent education so they can earn well and give back to the organization as well i think through through the university um i think that's one of like the overarching goals no, I wouldn't say the university is central. Uh, there's a lot of people that go to that university, but you'll have, I mean, Utah's filled with Latter-day Saints and there's other universities that, like, I didn't go to BYU. And then, like, it just in terms of, you know, like, the claims of the religion, I understand that it's like, well, everything was corrupted before. There's a new final revelation now, which is, you know, sort of the same stuff that a lot of religious movements have kind of gone with. Mm -hmm. Um and then there's supposed like proofs and things in the text, like chiasms and things like that that exist that, you know, how, how else do you explain it with the supernatural? 
Um, obviously, Joseph Smith's the guy who's supposed to have had the angel appear to him and tell him a bunch of this stuff. And like, the, did the gold plates have um, commandments written down on them or something like that? That's and where the supposed Mormon to be... came from. And then, uh, isn't there supposed to be like a tribe of Israelites from the Old Testament that came across to is that, is that where the gold plates came from actually from yeah. that tribe yeah yeah um so i know I, I know a bit about like that stuff a bit about the that's actually quite a bit okay yeah <laughs> but yeah it's but it's not it's not really something <clears throat> like i find it interesting more sociologically i think but like the actual theology and stuff i'm not like super into i've never got like gone down that rabbit hole yeah as far as uh um any other practices like what do you know like uh food restrictions stuff like that temples yeah i mean i hear stuff like stuff about underpants um <laughs> i don't know i don't exactly know the stuff about underpants what's what's actually true there um i know that like sex and stuff can be quite weird um, yeah I, d I don't know that it would be any more weird than um any yeah right other christian like they just say no sex sure sure Mm -hmm. yeah that's oh and no what, masturbating what, too and they yeah, ask and I, I suppose, in interviews about it <laughs> yeah that's what what what, I'm, what what i mean by sex being weird is that like within the kind of like culture of mormonism i understand that there's a lot of like that kind of guilt and shame that's drilled into people around sex but also this kind of idea that you know what you should be doing is kind of like procreating with it, it within like a family right like that's kind of the goal of the goal of relationships as well like sex isn't so much for um oh, no, enjoyment or not not modern yeah. maybe at some point it okay. was like that but not modern no you would you would you would have like sex therapists that could be good latter-day saints oh, okay. and like that so interesting um yeah food restrictions like what would you what is your is sh a shellfish is, is shellfish one of them no no um yeah, I honestly don't know. Oh, um, coffee, yep. alcohol as yes. well. Um, I don't know what else though. Yeah, Tea. you have to help me. Oh, okay, right. Any caffeine coffee. then? Not caffeine. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. It's of course. Uh, it's a scripture that is hot drinks, and the modern prophets have um decided it means tea and coffee. So and hot chocolate. No, hot chocolate. I know that's a hot drink. That's not how the scriptures interpreted. <laughs> okay. See, they have a living prophet. That's another thing. I don't know if you're aware oh, of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that was what in the FLDS, right? The living prophet was the guy who yeah, was basically, <laughs> he just he just basically had the monopoly on women, right? Uh, and that's kind of how the society, at least in, in the FLDS, not necessarily, I don't know, but he, um, you know like and then he would kind of like give other men who did what he wanted he would then like get trade women basically with them to kind of give them status and power in that society and it was kind of and, and then one of his kids like became the living prophet after he uh passed away right they were like oh yeah i'm the living prophet now and that was and that was the guy that was actually kind of more of the predator it's almost like yeah right the first guy probably really believed it and the second guy, yeah, possibly. Well, he he of course knew what he. I was think doing. he probably like, did he... believe it, but I think he was more screwed up. <laughs> no, the second guy, <laughs> he would like go to Vegas and do things that were clearly against mm. their rules. Like right, like he's not following the same rules. Like so, I I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I get I get what you're say saying. But do you not a... think? 
do you not think he was convinced that some of something weird though like he probably didn't just like think yeah this is all bullshit but at least it's a good gig like <laughs> i think i think definitely there was probably some kind of justification or justification in his head to to live with himself but um i'm saying i'm saying there's probably a level of integrity that his dad had probably that he didn't warn jeffs that's who we're talking about right um we all do all kinds of things to justify things i think so it's I don't know. It's hard to get in the head of someone that like everyone agrees is a terrible person and then just leave it at that. And it's like, nah, it's probably more complicated than that. But um, yeah, it's, it is weird looking at that. Um, well, what else was I going to say about that? I don't know. I just, I just find it fascinating to like see what outsider perspectives of the culture is. It's interesting. Oh, one thing that I, I did, this is what I wanted to mention. Um, when I watched that documentary, I, it was fascinating because you see a lot of similarities, right? Cause like, obviously they branched off at some point and we have the same religion if you go far enough back. And so you see a lot of similarities, but then it's fascinating seeing how it changed and how different, like keep sweet and obey was not, that was their, right, not like set. a phrase. Yeah. That's not a phrase from the main, the main line church or i don't know what you want to call it the the salt lake city branch the brighamite branch it, just, it, it sounds creepy enough on its own without knowing anything about what was like i know right happening as well <laughs> yeah there are all, all kinds of phrases though like that i think we said like follow the prophet was like a song that we sang as little kids so um yeah it, it's so... interesting to me the similarities between i, I mean i don't know much about your type of mormonism but that at least that type of mormonism and if, if you ever watch like louis theroux's documentaries on the westboro baptist church for example where there's you know like one really strong kind of patriarchal figure who who's the kind of leader of the group and the way that the women are kind of like subjugated in the community the way that, the way that the children are kind of like inculcated and socialized into the practices of the community and given that it, it's interesting like this the similarities between that type of christianity as well and uh that i don't i don't know that it's common to all because there are definitely like more eastern religion type cults where it's less like that where there's like mass orgies and things and it's very mm -hmm. kind of different but um yeah it's, it's weird that there are those similarities yeah it is interesting um all right coming back to you so um can you tell me uh like what, when you were practicing, how long were you practicing Christianity and what the, what did that look like? I'm just curious, like for like, for us, for example, you go to church once a week and it's for two, three hours used to be three and then two, and then, and they have different activities during the week and you volunteer to do things at church. Anyway, I don't know. I, what, what was it like for you? I think I was practicing like two years. Um, obviously after I deconverted, I wasn't really regularly going to church the same way, but I still like would oh, you still attend church after you feel like you decompose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For like two or three years, but every so often, you know, like maybe every three months and then maybe I'd like have a burst of going for a couple of weeks and then I'd stop again and it'd be too weird. And like, so it's like that for a few years after, but there were two years where, when I was like in and like going all the time. So I'd go every Sunday, sometimes, twice on a sunday to both services um sunday i suppose is like the main event right and then there would be like people would host meals and things afterwards on a sunday and you'd like go to those and talk to people 
in the week there'd be like home groups so you go to like home groups and study the bible and talk about stuff people you know some guy who's just watched porn and feels guilty would be like pray for me <laughs> you know people's like interpersonal issues and dramas and things would kind of come up but in christianese language rather than being like you know fully kind of articulated pray for my kids they've gone to university i'm not sure if they're remaining faithful those those sorts of things um friday bible study as well and that and those were like the main things really that were all a part of the church and then in terms of like personal devotion there were various things that i do so i try and like read the bible first thing in the morning before going to work and pray try to read the bible or something theologically related at lunchtime at work i actually set up a bible study at work because i wanted to evangelize to people and stop them going to hell um in the evening as well i'd like read the bible watch like apologetics content and stuff on youtube listen to hymns all the time and sing along to hymns practice playing the piano um like piano hymns and things like that hmm. um so just just kind of thoroughly sort of uh, constantly kind of enriching myself in christian type stuff i don't know filling my head with all the ideas trying to um obey what god wanted all the time and keep praying and things like that trying to influence the world in the way that the re i thought the religion advocated for and then also like a lot of shame and guilt around things as well because you know like as a 21 year old guy you wake up horny a lot right and like <laughs> feeling really guilty about that sort of thing or like feeling guilty about like looking at a woman when i'm driving it's so, like i remember like driving past uh, a woman jogging in leggings and i was like don't don't look at her butt don't look at like please like god help me not and then like i did i looked in the rearview mirror at her butt when it got past <laughs> and i was like ah, like so annoyed at myself and stuff um that sort of thing huh. so your time that you were kind of still going when you were uh so there was a time there that you were like physically and mentally out. That's, that's a PMO. That's a phrase that we use a lot. Okay. <laughs> so there was a phrase, a phase of that then. Yeah, for sure. Like after, after the conversation I had with Doug, um, I actually physically felt sick for a few days. Like I was just mm -hmm. lying in bed and watching like all of his videos. And I think the sick, the, the feeling sick was like, Oh, was it's like the house of cards fell down type feeling you know of like was everything that i believed like bullshit what the hell how could i deal with this it, and yeah it was just, i was just like lying there watching all his stuff like oh my god like i can't deal with all this um and then i think after that it just became increasingly hard for me to like participate in church but like for, for conflicting reasons like one of them was because i kind of felt sinful and so was thinking well, like I'm not in God's good graces or whatever. Like I, I, I don't want to be in like the presence of God in this sinful state. Or like I didn't want to take communion and stuff because I, I like felt bad about sin. Um, but then another thing was, can I? Yeah, go ahead. So you, after your second conversation with Doug, like you felt like the house of cards fell down. I uh, probably after the first after the first conversation was when it began like that's when I got the sick feeling okay so I'm curious um your how do I word this like 
was the story you were telling yourself at that point not that the house of cards had fallen down like obviously you made that one response video so you weren't telling yourself that like how would you describe that would you describe it as like two parts of yourself well I, i feel like i have that still though like i feel like sometimes like I ho- I'm hoping we have. I don't know how much time you have. If you let me go longer than an hour, but yeah, don't. Yeah, um, sure. I want to get into like the Jordan Peterson stuff. And when you're criticizing, um, you know, the little corner of the internet people, there, there's this part of me that agrees Poor with guys. you, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I, there, I understand what you're saying, and, and there's part of me that agrees, but then there's this other part of me that I don't. I don't, I don't agree, right? And that's kind of the side that I end up landing on, but I wouldn't call it Well, that doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to right? be cognitive dissonance. Right. So what you're describing there doesn't, it can just be like, oh, I can sort of like see both sides have got some good points, whatever. I mean, that doesn't have to be like cognitive dissonance. What I mean yeah. by cognitive dissonance is- Oh no, I understand. Where, I'm just wondering, yeah, I, I guess I'm just wondering why does it have to be cognitive dissonance and not something like that? Like, I guess- it, So it- yeah, so it definitely, it wasn't like, oh, both sides have good points because of how much my personal identity was invested in mm. the beliefs that I had. Okay. Um, and now I had these new beliefs simultaneously at the same time that were um, in conflict with the beliefs that were really important for me to identify with. And so I was just kind of going haywire trying to figure out a way of like, meshing the two together um and that's if if, you know like when you look at the sort of like cognitive dissonance um psychology stuff it's all about how invested someone is in those beliefs that then they're exposed to like some falsifying information of um as to how susceptible they are to sort of adopting some like crazy new auxiliary belief. So if so if if someone's like personal reputation, social reputation, um, their self worth or whatever is really invested in the in the, in those initial commitments, that's when it becomes much easier to believe something about like Jesus um have it like a miracle or so whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Than it does to believe, oh, I was like a silly person who believed a silly thing, whatever. I guess my my thing is, I, I have a hard time framing framing it like that because I guess I still feel like I'm that silly person. Like, I just, I don't know that I've graduated somehow and now I'm some kind of rational person because now well, I, don't I don't think that either. Them. You know what I mean? But you, I, I don't think that either. I'm just not really that personally invested in the... You don't take um, it personally if someone like... Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, if someone's like, oh, that part yeah, like you're, to me. you're wrong about actually, there is a good reason to think that God exists. It's like, oh, cool. Like, I'll think about it. Like, right, right. It's not, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not, not it's not yeah. like, no, it can't be. It can't be that way. No, it must. Like, yeah, that's true. Um, all right. I appreciate that because I, I was just kind of curious what what it was like for you practicing Christianity and and uh, I guess uh the other thing I was wondering, when was the moment that you entertained the idea that, like, it might be wrong? Like, that you, mm. you know, that you might, does that make sense? Like, I feel like yeah. there there was a moment where I can still remember, like, where I was like, I don't think that Joseph Smith did what he claimed to do. Like, I don't think mm. that's right. But even then, after that, I still practicing for, like, three years after that. So Honestly, 
it, it's going to be really difficult, I think, for me to like pinpoint an exact moment. I remember, so there wasn't like, like a one thing. So I mean, there sort of was like there were things that, for example, when I talked to Doug, it just left me with like an icky feeling that wouldn't go away. That's how, but it wasn't. But there but wasn't. actually, having that thought, maybe Christianity is false. Maybe God isn't there. Or whatever, that came much later for me because I just felt so guilty about thinking it, or like I just couldn't bring myself to like actually cognize that thought. Mm. I just had the feeling of like something being off for a long time. I think uh, I think something, some some further things that cause me cognitive dissonance. And of course, Christians who are watching this are going to go, obviously, um, it's just because you sinned and lost the Holy Spirit. But was when I when I was outside of the when I was questioning the morality of the religion, I began to like do things like have sex with people and stuff like that. Right. And I was like, oh, actually, that wasn't that doesn't make me a terrible person. That isn't bad. But then I had like these deep feelings of guilt from the religion of like, no, I've done a terrible thing. I'm like a horrible, awful person. Um, like that caused me a lot of cognitive dissonance as well because i was like well on the one hand i've got this experience of no that was just a thing it was all right and on the other hand i've got this like belief of no that would make me a terrible person i'm it's people who do this are evil and i sort of like couldn't shake those feelings of like well you've betrayed god but um actually everything was all right and why can't you just be like happy with like having had a nice time and be like normal and healthy about it um, so that sort of thing also, you know, like drove me to question like the moral claims because I'd got, I'd got very wrapped up in moralizing because as a result of my religion, like thinking that people who were gay were like evil thinking that like when Ikea have LGBT flags on their like bags that you can buy at the checkout, that that's like a sign of the end times coming soon or some like thing like that. And so kind of like having those really strong moral prejudices like challenged by experience was kind of like, you know, something something that unsettled me because it taught, because I was thinking, well, so people who do this are evil. And then I actually came to find, no, people who do this aren't actually evil. They're just like me. It's not that bad. It's just like people enjoying each other. So who cares? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So do you so okay shoot i'm kind of going back in the timeline here what motivated you to like try to be a a christian apologetic like get into christian apologetics because that's why you have that first video right yeah i think it's just because um well probably i i don't when i say just i don't know that there's just that there's like going to be one simple thing part of it is that I'm interested in things intellectually kind of anyway, right? And so I'm curious. And when I discovered Christianity, it sort of provided me with a wealth of just new information, you know, opened a bunch of doors to a bunch of stuff that was super interesting, historically, politically, um, like literary criticism, history of the Bible, theology is like a discipline, philosophy is a discipline, things I'd never really gone into in any depth. It just opened all this stuff up to me to try and synthesize together. So, so that was like really sort of enticing for me as a person, for my psychology. I think another thing is probably a, a slight sense of intellectual inferiority. So 
having kind of like messed up my A-levels at the end of high school and because of personal circumstances, not gone to like some amazing uni to do like a really prestigious course in like uh, computer science or physics or whatever. And instead be doing a degree apprenticeship and working. Um, I think I kind of felt like I hadn't f fulfilled my intellectual potential or something. And there was a sense of inferiority there or something. Mm. And I felt this need to kind of like prove myself through learning all this stuff. And that's partly, I think, what attracted me about Peterson was because the way he talks, it gives the impression that he's read, you know, like the entire Western canon of like every every philosopher and is intimately familiar with all of their positions and knows all about history and knows all about theology. And I was like, I want to be And has like the correct like, perspective on it. <laughs> yeah, right. And I, and I was kind of thinking, I want to be the type of person that's like that and um that that kind of appealed to me and then there was this sense of kind of like inferiority and it was and apologetics does sell itself like this i think where it's like well you you kind of like get some two cent uh kalam cosmological argument some fine-tuning argument right and now you can talk to most people who don't care about any of this stuff and make them sound stupid and I, th I think there's a bit of that to apologetics like a, mm. a kind of inferiority complex type thing yeah, I didn't. I so the apologetic space doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I was never, I was never actively engaged in my religion and participating in any kind of apologetics. So it's hard for me to understand that. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't steel man that. You know what I mean? Because I just don't understand it. <laughs> a lot of I mean, the apologetics that I got into by the time I got into it just felt so underwhelming. And I was like, you're not addressing my problem here. You're not answering my question. Like, and it started making me feel like there was no place for me within the religious paradigm because I wasn't hearing my, my concerns being like met, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think there are definitely some, 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 some people in apologetics who are there like out of genuine curiosity and they've just ended up in that space right but there's also a lot of right there are that some space. that have like good conversations that are fun to listen to even from this side of it yeah that's true and there's a lot of people in that space as well where it's more kind of performative where it's about almost projecting a sense of power a sense of intellectual dominance um so so i think you get this with a lot of um william lane craig stuff a lot of capturing christianity stuff where if you just kind of watch for what's being said a lot of the time it will be emphasizing this is serious intellectual endeavor this is a serious philosophical problem that i'm raising this is and it's like it, it all what i'm hearing when i hear that is take me seriously this is you know like i'm a big boy too i i'm i'm up here with the physicists and the, and i think a lot of what's done around formalizing arguments so using like Bayes theorem using certain like different types of logic including like modal logics and things um talking about physics stuff. in order I'm, to i've never been interested in that logic stuff i really well, haven't <laughs> but I, I i think it's all superfluous to religion and i think it's about i think it's about puffing up your chest i think that that's why a lot of that stuff exists it's like a show of force and a display mm -hmm. of uh, masculine intellectual sort of like uh, flexing uh, to try and intimidate, to try and make, uh, to try and resolve maybe some of the kind of like um, 
issues that people have fundamentally believing like a guy rose from the dead or whatever. Yeah, maybe. I I guess given that we just, we, we kind of admitted, like I think I think we did in, a few minutes ago that there are some apologetics that have like decent conversations that are at least interesting, whether you agree with whoever's talking or not. And then you've also got content that's like not that. I want to go back because I think I framed all apologetics in a certain way. Or is it just that there is a spectrum of different types of people within every paradigm? You know what I mean? Like, is a is the is the content of apologetics worse than average? Like, is that fair? Yeah, I think it's, I think, like, apologetics. So apologetics generally, I view as, like, really shit philosophy, basically. Like, like substandard, crappy philosophy. Though there are some people in that space who I think are worthwhile people to talk to, like people who would disagree with me and are apologists. And I think there were, but there's, a, but the vast majority of people who, and most of those people would be more cautious about using the term apologist just because they're self-aware enough to realize that when they use that term, they're like identify, it, it, you know, they're almost aligning themselves with the Frank Chorex of the world, right? Mm. Um, and they wouldn't want to do that because they tend to be quite self-reflective people, the type of people that I think are worth talking to on, the, on these topics who disagree. Whereas, you know, the, the majority of people in that space, I think, are quite unlike that that their only concern is resolving their own cognitive dissonance appearing to um have these really strong arguments they don't really care about figuring out what's true they just care about accumulating a bunch of weapon or, or obscuring they don't care about making progress or clarifying things they just want to learn terminology in order to make things more obscure and difficult impenetrable for the person who disagrees with them um and I just hate all that stuff. I can't stand it. It's sophistry at its worst. It's it's all of because there is interesting stuff, right, to be done around theology, and you can you can have great conversations about it and find out, learn all sorts about the world. But all of that crap just gets in the way. You know, it's like it's like shit in the pipeline that just won't, uh, yeah. won't, won't go through. Yeah, it gums it up. I, I could take that bit that you just said uh, thirty seconds ago. And apply that to political discourse online yeah. and all kinds of stuff online from every point of view. That's why I was trying to get at, like, is this an apologetics problem or is this just like an echo chamber problem where it's like, hey, we're going to get on here and explain why the position we already hold yeah. is awesome. <laughs> I see what you're saying. I do think that there is a, a an explicitly apologetic centered problem that I see it tends to be because apologetics attracts young men who feel this sort of need to defend their religion and make it rational to everyone else and stuff like that and then I think that there's the, to everyone else though like though, they, well they, I'm not saying that denying that there are political streamers who are like that as well by the way no what I'm saying is I don't I don't think that they try <laughs> My opinion is that a lot of apologetics help people stay, but it doesn't convert. Like it doesn't convince yes, anybody right. from the outside, right? So, um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that's what it's for. That's what, well, that's what. Um, so Helen de Cruz, who's a Christian philosopher of religion, she's done a, quite a lot of empirical work and cognitive science of religion stuff, and she says 
this, that um, apologetics basically exists just to resolve the cognitive dissonance of believers. Like that's what apologetics is there for. Um, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, and I think, I think it's right. Like that's what I see. It's not, you know, it's not about trying to work with someone you disagree with to figure out who's right. It's, it's very polemical in nature. It's very, um, political almost in nature you know like the way that someone like Cameron Batuzzi of Capturing Christianity or Braxton Hunter the way that they sort of create narratives for their audience about you know that things that are happening in the in the discourse and stuff like that it's all about kind of like controlling a particular discourse and selling it so you can sell this story of that makes sense from the theological point of view of the evil atheists and what they're up to so I mean you even saw it when well I, I don't know that you've seen this but when James and I, who I, James, who I mentioned earlier, did our video um, on Andrew Loke's book, where we went through the entire book with Camille um, talking about various problems with his approach to the resurrection. And in a private Facebook group, they were talking about how we were collaborating with um, the Muslims to try and like br- take people away from the faith, or whatever. It's like I've never even talked to Muslim Jake, the Muslim metaphysician, and yet Andrew Loke's like, yeah, the you know, it's a conspiracy of of uh, yeah and, and and so you can see how i don't know there's like this almost like inherent paranoia and again like the sectarianism and atheists fall foul of this as well right it's not i'm not just saying that i'm I just not saying people like that's that's what i'm saying like a lot of these criticisms i, I have a hard time putting a christian layer apologetic label on it because i mm. just see it as a human issue <laughs> yeah i think you could be right i think i think what it is is that for me apologists tend to be people who sort of unashamedly um endorse all of these biases and things right whereas yeah, i see a lot of the true. more reflective christian philosophers shying away from that label and being like you know what uh, i'm a christian philosopher i'm not an apologist <laughs> yeah yeah i have a tendency to be like a little too benefit of the doubt with stuff and there is something that i would say that i didn't really get from church and i'm not sure necessarily you're supposed to get it from church but when it that idea of making sure that you engage with criticism was definitely like, and I, I think that is what creates a house of cards. Like, I think there are thoughtful people that wrestle with these things. And I think uh, they have a stronger foundation with their beliefs. Um, mm. But, but I didn't engage with criticism because I felt like I had to strengthen my belief before I could engage. And because I could never strengthen my belief enough like I couldn't, like I wasn't disciplined enough to read my scriptures every day. I could mm. never get my belief strong enough to engage with criticism. So right. it becomes this. Okay. Yeah. But I, there are people that do. Um, like when, um, when I interviewed John Brabakey, that's kind of one of the things that we talked about was it's, it's not super useful in my mind to like paint one group of people as like rational and another poop. A group of people not because I, I do think there are wise and thoughtful people that yeah. practice religion I guess like it just doesn't seem well I don't, I don't think reasonable. I'm doing that I just uh, well, no, I don't no, know I, if you're saying I'm, yeah no 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 um I guess I just want to explicitly say that I don't yeah. think that and I do feel like that is a common belief of if people are going to view atheists from the outside that's what they think sure. atheists think right I so I'm I want to be I'm actually very, I think there's a type of atheism that kind of deifies, 
I mean, even, you know, like earlier when you were saying that's objective and this is subjective, whenever I hear the word objective, I sort of like, it's kind of like a trigger word for me, right? Because I, I don't I'm just think, trying to convey, yeah. like... I'm not trying to have I a go at you. I'm, I understand. I, yeah. When I say that, I understand what you're saying. Like, I've gone down that rabbit hole of thought, but I think as far as what people mean by it, I mean, there, <laughs> there is objective reality. Like, I can't just walk through that door. Right. Like so that's what I'm I, talking yeah. about. And I understand, I understand how you're using it. And I, I, so I'm not bringing this criticism against you. I think you, you see this too, that there's this sort of, there is a type of atheism though, that's very over, it's like this very over, overly simplified outlook on reality, which is kind of like, um, well, there's just simply this truth out there. There's no nuance or complexity to anything. None of these questions are difficult. And then there's, there's these like kind of almost, um really like shitty evolutionary psychology answers that explain religion they they tend to be like really bad explanations they're just a bunch of just so stories but it's like yeah you just believe in sky daddy because and then you know insert like some kind of crappy like like michael Shermer article in nature from 2012 about agency detection and patternicity or something right um and not actually engage with any of the genuine psychological attempts to find out whether like that sort of finding is like robust um look at the data and stuff instead it's just this fucking article by michael Shermer talking about it in Na published in nature and and it just it becomes so overly simplistic so political so so people that i'm talking about here or, or communities would be like atheist community of austin type atheists like matt dillahunty type atheists and it's just it, it's just like a really dogmatic shoddy simple worldview it's like it's almost like everything that was wrong with fundamentalism um in terms of like the the ferocity the evangelism the lack of openness to disconfirming evidence all of that crap is still there but now every single belief is just defined by exactly the polar opposite of what it once was so oh we wanted nuclear families and like we were anti-abortion Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, and we and we were anti-abortion. So now we're just vehemently pro-abortion, and we want like people to just have like free relationships whenever, and maybe never get married. And it's like everything's just defined as the opposite of that. But you're just as like shitty a person when it comes to talking with about any of these <laughs> ideas or um, any of that sort of stuff. So you know, I, you're like you've not become more open. You've not become better at assessing evidence. You've not developed any of these like epistemic virtues. Um, that I think are, are good for guiding you towards truth. And I think that there are a lot of atheists like this who um, are, are just as bad as like fundamentalists in my book. I really like that. Like, it's just not useful to try to group people together and like simplify it like that because it's just not that simple. It's just, uh, yeah. There are people I admire from that are atheists and there are people that I admire that are Latter-day Saints. Like, it, it's just not useful to group that kind of group i guess but yeah the, there's a lot i like about um religions and like the things that they teach and the you know even as someone who doesn't currently believe that any of the religions are sort of like true in the claims that they make about the way reality is whatever i think that there are a lot of really beautiful things in like islam and in christianity you don't know as much about mormonism but um yeah like i can take a lot from that still sure I guess that's a good segue. So let's get into um, some of the criticism you have of, uh, let me, so there's, there's Jordan Peterson, 
uh, Paul Vanderclay. I'm not as I haven't watched as much stuff on his channel except for like when you're engaged with it. <laughs> um, and then Jonathan Pajot. I'm trying to think of other people. Even Joe Rogan, like you, yeah. um, have some strong criticisms and criticisms of these gurus, right? Uh, John Bervicki. Um So that is actually. I feel like those. Maybe not Joe Rogan, but the the little corner of the internet people. I feel like they are kind of in that same space that we were just talking about. Like they say, they're basic. I've heard John Verveke say this. He he doesn't consider himself an atheist. He says he's a non-theist. And he, um, I think I heard him say this once. Um, but he he basically, the way I understood it, described the apologetics atheist YouTube channel fight as just they're asking the wrong question. So he's just a, yeah, like, but that, he, that's some he's fucking. Not, he's not. He's not interested. Me... He's not interested in. Um. He's just. Not interested it's in a him. guru. It, but 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 the way see the way how he phrased that right. It's like a guruism. It's like, and I've got the right question for you. It's like no, mm -hmm. like those guys have got it wrong because they're just being like dicks to each other. But that's not like it's not like, and now I've got the deeper truth. You know, it's like it, it's still it's still that same like. Uh, it, you know, it's like it's like Joseph Smith type thing, right? Of you know, the Christians—they're all debate, but they're they, they're asking the wrong question. Mm -hmm. I've got the right question. You know, it's like it's still that same uh, type thing. Like that's what really—that's one of the things that gets me about like the way that the the kind of guru types are. Right? Is that I don't find them to just be. Uh, to be exhibiting the type of epistemic virtues in any of these fields that I would want for like someone who's just seeking truth. So like, and, and what I mean by seeking truth is to figure out what, what's the correct view of the history of these various religions. What's the correct view when it comes to the philosophy of these various religions? What's the correct view in just syst systematizing what the sciences have to tell us and the, the distinction between the sciences and what the types of claims that theology might make. I don't, I don't see, these types of people is kind of like using the correct methodologies that good and responsible inquirers should be using when it comes to instead i see them as kind of like using uh poetic ways of talking about things that are replete with metaphors again creating sectarian communities of us versus them and those sectarian communities are very resistant to disagreement uh, in my this is in my experience so i find it very difficult to actually talk to people in those communities about um claims that you disagree about without them becoming incredibly defensive or banning or blocking me or um various things like that muting muting me and like uh, so that so they can like monologue the same as like Darth same treatment I might get of like Darth Dawkins in a Discord server I've got for, in like John Favakey's server from people like Mark Lefevre for example, um, and yeah and I, and I see there being a lot of these like kind of the 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 pseudo profound bullshit claims uh, meet like meaning meaningless statements that sound profound like the. Uh, the the papers called the psychology papers called pseudo pseudo profound bullshit. So I'm not just saying that as like a pejorative. Um, that can sound quite meaningful, but are really just poetry, and just often getting like lost in metaphor, making claims that are historically false about the thought of philosophers, 
about like religious movements and uh, and all this stuff just again just just winds me up when i come to listen to people like viveki or peterson because there are you know scholars out there who are doing what they claim to be doing but are doing it very well and exhibiting um these types of virtues and i would just much rather people spent their time like listening to those people or reading those people than like engaging i'm curious with, like... who you're referring to and so so one person i'm thinking of might be like karen armstrong for example she's one um like helen de cruz who i mentioned earlier like kenny pierce who's a theist he's a great philosopher um again knows so much about like Berkeley, so much about kant same with helen de cruz when it comes to kant eleanor stump who's a catholic philosopher so much someone who's so much better to engage with ian mills and laura robinson when it comes to like history of the new testament um from a christian perspective camille again being great on the history but from like a, a, an atheist perspective um listening to you know like in, in terms of like youtube channels there's like a channel called philosophy overdose for example or someone like kane baker or joe schmidt from majesty of reason the type of things that they're putting forward from the philosophy of religion perspective are just going to be so much more so much better and also so much more accurate particularly when it comes to ex expounding um the philosophies of historical thinkers which peterson just frequently bastardizes particularly when it comes to nietzsche kierkegaard and kant um um Give me a, so I don't, I didn't recognize, I know Camille, but that's more from a, just hanging around um, this Pine Creek. I think Don, Don, I think Don Cupid as well is someone who did, in my view, what Peterson was sort of like trying to do when he first, well, uh, when he first started the psychological interpretation of the biblical series lectures i think that's become more broadly wrapped up in a political project now which is you know like why the second installment of those lectures is hosted on daily wire with ben shapiro and dennis prager present as <laughs> you know but right. um well, i think, I think I what he was initially you... trying to do was done far better by don cupid in terms of understand coming to understand the state of modern religion through the lens of the way that like science interacted with it and historical thought kind of led up to, to the current position where people are kind of jaded with religion and um, feel this tension between the sciences and religion. Um, do you think, like, if you were to summarize kind of, you say they're trying to do the same thing, what is that? And then how are they doing it better? So the, the same thing would be providing a kind of, um, analysis of the historical causes of our contemporary culture's relationship to religion um and then looking at the various ways of living with our contemporary culture's understanding of religion now right so i think what jordan peterson is sort of trying to is, do so that's a is pretty like that, that's a pretty like materialistic so someone just kind of saying I don't know. That doesn't feel like the same thing. I guess is what I think Jordan Peterson's trying to do. Well, maybe you can you can tell me if if you disagree. But in my view, part of what is so appealing to people about Jordan Peterson is he doesn't just kind of like come out and say something like, "Well, God says like Israel should have a home, and so um, it's fine for them to treat people in Palestine this way." I'm not saying that's Peterson's views on the Palestine-Israel situation. I'm just saying that's how you know, a classically understood theologian maybe might might make a, a, a kind of political claim or something. Whereas the way that Peterson approaches theology is he'll kind of be like, 
well, look, here's a snake in Genesis. Well, snake detection circuitry is really old in the brain. And so here's some kind of like plausible story about the connection between a really primitive human psych psychology and the way that we process our perception and why snakes might be um, really meaningful in a story that's teaching us eternal moral values or something. So it kind of provides the theological, the, theological content which is this moral claim about the story of genesis maybe with a kind of scientific justification um even if it's quite a loose link the scientific justification being well look like it's reasonable that stakes snakes be used as this kind of foil in a moral story because snake detection circuitry is really low in the brain and humans have an evolutionary history that includes snakes that snakes thousands of years back so it's not so anti-scientific now you know it's not it's not pure theology now now there's a bit of like science involved and i think that but that's kind of the that's allure weird to a lot of that's weird that that bothers you so much because it's not like the important part of what he's trying to say like when he's talking about snakes he's talking about it from a psychological perspective right well, I think that the claims but, he's making about psychology there are just really not very careful. And he's often just kind of telling a bunch of just so stories mixing together random facts. Right. And that, that's a problem. Do you think there's kind yeah. of like patterns that are worth like noticing? Like, let me give you an example. I mean, that's a very vague statement. <laughs> like, let me give cancer. you an example. That's why yeah. I'm going to give yeah, you an yeah. example. Yeah, so, sorry, sorry. You go. Yeah. Um, when I when I think of my kind of going through belief, I had some opportunities where I could have maybe not had such a house of cards, right? Like I noticed there was something that intrigued me um, and I, I call it a snake in my going through practicing my belief and I ignored the snake and then it got worse. It didn't, fix the problem it just got bigger right and so why do you call it a snake sorry like i'm not sure what so i think that's in the story that he was talking about that's what he was talking about he was saying if you don't address snakes then they they don't go away like you have to address the snakes why not life, a, right? why not an elephant right like there's a turn of phrase the elephant in the room um that's pretty popular with english that's, language speakers isn't that talking about something else though I don't think so. I think that's talking about things like when people say um, there's an elephant in the room, they tend to mean that there's something that needs to be addressed that's like really big, but everyone's kind of ignoring it, right? Yes. Or something. Do you think the, that's slightly different to what you were saying about snakes? Yeah. Okay. yeah. A snake would be something like um, I'm training for a marathon and I kind of have a tweak in my leg and I think it might mean that I'm getting a stress fracture or something like that mm. and I ignore it and I keep running and then I get a full blown on stress fracture. Like that, that would be a, a snake is something mm. that you, you get a warning or you see it, you notice it, but you ignore it yeah. and then it becomes a problem. With it. Still, so I think, it doesn't I think go away. the case you've said that, right. is like, imagine I'm your friend and I know you're training for a marathon and you start telling me all these symptoms of like a stress fracture. And I might say, look, you're ignoring the elephant in the room here, which is that you've got a stress fracture and you have to pull out of this marathon race. Like I think, so I think it could be used there, but the point, the point is that the point I'm trying to make is that what we've got here is, is a metaphor, right? And as long as people take your metaphor the right way, it doesn't matter what, um, 
animals or lack of animals or symbolism or whatever you use in the metaphor. Um, So it bothers you not that he uses the metaphor in the psychological way and says, Hey, in your psychology, uh, your, your, uh, whatever, I don't know. Well, first, your, your, your so, so the first thing that bothers me. Your psychology is going to bring attention to you, things that you need to address. And if you don't address them, it's just going to get worse. That part doesn't bother you. It's that he tries yeah. to tie it in and validate his claim with, hey, this makes sense that this really old story with wisdom in it um, survived because and was passed down orally because snakes are, you know, mm. really far down or whatever. So that, I think there are three, yeah, three three parts that bother me there. One is the actual empirical claim itself, where I think Peterson is someone who frequently engages in something called neurobolics, which is just saying neurological sounding terms in order to tell people stories that sound like they're scientific about people's brains and things. And there's a great blog called Neurobolics about this. Um that takes apart a lot lot of these types of claims that people make. And I think that when it comes to a lot of this stuff, especially the type of stuff that Peterson's saying, he's often really, really, really stretching um, studies where it's not even clear how robust those studies are in the first place a lot of the time, but into um, like ordinary cases where they might not be able to tell us anything meaningful. Um, So, so, the claims about like snake detection circuitry, various claims he's made about like rats and lobsters and things like that. It's just not clear how far you can even stretch those things, even if the findings are very robust amongst like rodents or whatever, right? Um, so that's it. So the empirical claim is what is one issue in the way that that em- empirical data might be being used. Second issue is um, a metaphysical one, and it's the way that Peterson then essentializes the type of like symbols that feature in his um theological explanation so like the snake or whatever he basically ties these claims that he's making about people's um psychology in the biblical stories into like essentializing characterizations of human psychology and i think that maybe they could be right for a lot of people in a lot of circumstances but i just don't think that they're like essentially and universally correct in the way that peterson sort of claims um and then I forget what the third issue was, but it was something more theological. It was something like it was something that kind of like bounces off of the two where people kind of feel then vindicated in really forcefully believing this stuff. So to the point of like engaging in political action or whatever, because they think that all the science and like God himself then agrees with um, the kind of like beliefs that they form is the upshot of these processes and so and, and so then there's like me thinking that that's kind of like dangerous a dangerous f- way for people to view the world because it doesn't have a kind of like humility built into it that you know where where i could be wrong and that and that's the shortfall of this type of epistemology as well hmm. your your third is not i understand i kind of understand your first two your third one is i'm not understanding why that would be a concern because i i feel like the types of people that would take that seriously would actually probably have a problem with the way jordan peterson is saying evolution is real like i just don't well how about how about so many gen six you know like the people who january 6th went into the yeah Mm -hmm. did 
I mean, how familiar are you with for how people in this space, firstly, let's say I'm talking about like people like Viveki, Van der Klee, et cetera, how they understood you think the events the that January took place 6th type people are the same type of people listening to Jordan Peterson? Yes. Yeah. That's strange because I feel like January 6th was like a subset. I'm not saying that none of them listen to Jordan Peterson, but like a ton of people listen to Jordan Peterson. So it's like, uh, I don't know that that's correlated at all. Well, I'm not saying all people who listen to Jordan Peterson are, um, you know, like pro-Trump and pro-January the 6th or anything like that. I think the claim that I'm making is a bunch of epistemic voices like bad methodologies for thinking about things that are being encouraged in the type of way that jordan peterson is approaching these topics and paul van der clay and and peugeot and viveki and that those voices underpin the the same conspiratorial thinking that leads people into like QAnon conspiracism into like anti-vax conspiracism into climate change and, and i mean these are all things that we have seen with peterson himself um, over the past year or so, to the point of where he retweets, you know, like fetish porn video of people getting their dicks milked by machines and says, this is what's happening in communist China, right? Which is kind of like beyond parody. But um, I saw I saw a thing about that on my Facebook feed and I didn't actually go look at the original thing. Yeah. Um, let me let me see if I can uh, restate what you're saying here and mm. if I understand. So you are bothered... Sure. That Jordan Peterson, um, his, it's not necessarily, well, your last bit would say this, but I'm going to jump back. Okay, you were, you're concerned that the ways that he is convincing himself or not himself or justifying his ideas are not, um, they just don't meet up to like epistemological uh, standards and therefore people will use those same kinds of thinking. So it's not necessarily that someone is taking something that Jordan Peterson said and going and storming January 6th. You're saying the way he is thinking leads to um, conspiratorial type. It, it can lend a hand to conspiratorial type thinking. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, okay. I would think, I think some of the claims he's made are like problematic as well, but I think that they're less of a concern than the way that he's like training people to think about these topics because then people can go off and do a lot of the damage themselves right and then they get into like andrew tate and start piece you know and they start playing word association with all of these stereotypes categories and things that they formed and um okay just end up with a whole bunch of weird things that they believe and ways that they act because of those beliefs <laughs> do you think that if he if the underlying things that he said you agreed with and then he was still using those kinds of ways it would still bother you can you think of anybody yes. that you agree with that also does that same game yeah so there's there's a lot of people like in the atheist space who might broadly have like similar um beliefs to me about naturalism for example but where i think that the way that they got there is like using a bad methodology that will kind of leave them trapped in those beliefs if they face like disconfirming evidence or something. Um, there are also a lot of people who might politically align with me in terms of having like fairly, I mean, I, I do in, in the UK, I consider myself a conservative with a small C, but like socially I'm quite progressive. Um, and there are a lot of people who share like similar political beliefs 
to me but i think that they got there through just like it kind of like being the popular thing to believe i think that they would be very easily swayed by other things if other things were more popular so if like fascism became super popular i think they don't and so i think it would be important for them to have the correct methodology to assess information pertaining to like political po policy and political beliefs because then they would be able to actually assess like the claims of fascists rather than just going along with it because it's like the popular thing right mm -hmm. um yeah do you see any of the concerns that jordan peterson expresses that you agree with yeah, um, this is something that's quite interesting in, you know, a lot of his lectures, the, the ones about like communism and things like that, he actually talks about how a driving force for him was that he wanted to understand how collectively a society could kind of go wrong in such a bad way. And he says like a major motivation for him behind studying what he studied and teaching the courses that he does is to try and inoculate his students against um ideology right and he I, and i remember the metaphor that he uses for ideology which in the lectures that i watched all those years ago still which is something like a kind of box through which all of your perceptions get kind of like forced through and then they come out the other side kind of like formatted right through that box and he, and he said he wanted his lectures to indoctrinate inoculate people against that um now that is kind of it's kind of like a tragic story right because of the way then that you see peterson engaging with information now where almost everything that he engages with is like retweets of really bad information or poorly interpreted information put into some like basically standard u.s sort of right-wing conspiracy theory type thing either about like election fraud or climate change or um the world economic forum is trying to um, make everyone infertile and uh, everything, you know, everything's like some mad right wing Fox News type conspiracy theory, all the information that he processes. And it, like he, he is, in my view, the exact type of victim of ideology that he sort of claimed he wanted to protect his students against right all those years ago, which is this sort of tragic irony for me. Mm hmm. Um, and I'm sure you would answer yes to, like, of course, there's a possibility that he is closer aligned to a good view of looking at the world versus how you're viewing the world, right? Like, it might not be a conspiracy. Would you? Well, it well, depends mean, what you mean by possibility, right? Because well, so mean, there's I'm, a possibility right now, I'm, I'm wrong. Sitting, I'm sitting across from you. And, and I don't know his, I'm not on Twitter, really. I have a Twitter mm -hmm. I just recently uh, created a Twitter account. I can't remember, but someone's asked me that before. And mm. I didn't like that video, right? Like yeah, it was sure. bizarre and he was angry and that's not my personality. That's not how I handle things. And so from like, I don't, I don't see the usefulness of that. Like I would much rather yeah. try to have conversations with people and depict them in a way that they would accept. And Jordan Peterson does not do that for a lot of left-leaning political people. He just mm. doesn't do that. Do you not think, though, that, that that video isn't quite just this one-off exception? So there were a number of videos around that, including like his message to Muslims, uh, message to Christians, message to CEOs, um, videos that he made 
like like q and a's that he's done where he's like complaining about um covid restrictions and stuff talking about like how difficult it was for him to buy a skidoo but what i what i want to sort of ask is do, do you not see that same kind of vitriol kind of you know rather than a kind of even assessment of well i've got some criticisms of the way the government's handled this but instead a sort of like quite narcissistic breakdown you know like a a, a, a viciousness coming out where so so narcissistic yeah. is like so overused so i don't really know that i would label anybody narcissistic in a public sphere um but i will say yeah. um i that vitriol is definitely there and the reason i give them the benefit of the doubt is because i i see the same problem i'm trying to handle it differently but i see the same problem that he sees and he is angry about it so i i don't know how being angry about it helps like i don't think that helps like i think probably the biggest problem in most online spaces maybe it's in real life you just it's an elephant in the room and nobody talks about what they disagree with they just don't talk about it that's how they have good relationships and then well, on online spaces they don't they also don't talk to each other either. And they just end up in these echo chambers that reinforce what they already believe, but they don't actually engage the steel man of the other side, I guess. You're frozen a little bit. My, yeah, my internet cut out. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Okay. I was going to say that a lot of, a lot of the people uh, in that kind of heterodox intellectual dark web space love to talk about how they love to talk about about having disagreements mm -hmm. and never actually do talk about any of the things that they disagree about like that the, is this kind of like that's true no that's self. so true yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've come but like no I, one I else agree. no totally. one else can have these conversations <laughs> totally i totally agree but i will say like in order to have like a good relationship with someone like i feel like even online and in a conversation i feel like you do have to spend more time on talking about stuff you agree with than what you disagree with so it might be frustrating that you're not just getting into it so it could it could be right, but look look at um. So That's I think maybe the the only example I can think of recently of an actual disagreement being talked about between two of these IDW figures is Sam Harris's appearance on Lex Friedman's podcast, mm -hmm. and even then Sam was still treading on eggshells around some of these topics, like uh, trying to uh, say that oh yeah like. Trump had a bunch of good points about this, like particular really controversial thing, or um, oh, what's the the origins of COVID conspiracy theory, the uh, lab, lab leak conspiracy theory. That's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's being pushed by a lot of people, like uh, isn't it just type? Isn't it just a theory? Like, why is it a conspiracy oh. theory? Because it's linked into um, a set of, like like a conspiracy, right, of the, um, well, it depends on, there's, there's a few different ones, but either a conspiracy of the Chinese government to do something, conspiracy of the World Economic Forum to do something around no, population control. I, or I, wouldn't, I don't think that's a still man, though, because I think the fact that it escaped from a lab is the lab leak theory. Well, so you can do this for for any conspiracy theory. Uh -huh. You can say 
this is the X theory and just talk about what the content of that theory is. The, the, the reason I'm characterizing it as a conspiracy theory is one, because it's not something that's believed by the consensus of experts, right? That uh, none of the agency, none of the agencies, the, the minority of agencies in the US who are um, investigating this have a low confidence probability assessment in it. The majority of agencies believe in natural origins. Uh, in terms of the orthodox um, science scientists who um, are looking into various marks and things around it coming from a lab, again, uh, consensus is that it's natural origins and most of the evidence points in, in that direction. There's very few heterodox thinkers on the fringe who think that it, it came from a lab and it's predominantly being pushed by people who believe that, um, again, in like either religious type explanations for why COVID happened or population control type explanations or like deep state type action. This is crazy. Yeah, well, I, that's... I don't know any of these conspiracy theories, but um, I don't want to go too far into this because there's kind of bigger picture stuff that I want to talk about, but we'll, we'll leave that there if that's okay. Like I just, I disagree. Um, yeah, uh, sure. The... Um, Oh, shoot, what were we? So, oh, there was something. Or uh, Brett, particularly like Brett Weinstein. <laughs> yeah, he like Brett Weinstein is, in my view, again, like a, just a conspiracy theorist right now. He's not got. Like, oh, any yeah, we were talking about well. uh, people disagreeing and having conversations. And, and uh, so I agree that a lot of times people that are, for example, um, you'll hear an ex-Mormon and Mormon talk in, but they agree politically. And so the only thing they talk about is politics, but they actually won't talk about theology or vice versa. You'll have a two, um, do you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, oh, look, we can talk to people that we disagree with, but they actually only talk about the things they agree with. So yeah, that is, that's definitely something that is, can be irritating for sure. And doesn't, doesn't help. So, so going back to like well, my criticism of the IDW people would be that they genuinely, I don't think really ever have these conversations about like the actual things that they disagree about. They always say, so the phrase is always, we can talk about the things that we disagree about, but never does like Lex talk to Joe Rogan about maybe like good reasons to think that mRNA vaccines aren't harmful or that like, you know, governments making decisions around trying to control the spread of COVID might be a good idea or something. Like never is there pushback around those things. Someone someone made a fairly good post actually um, about, so like one of the things that Lex Friedman likes to talk about is how having like loving conversations will solve like all the political problems and like cultural problems. But you have to look at, look at the people that he chooses to shine his love beams on and the people that he doesn't choose to shine his love beams on. Right. And oh, it's pretty like much episode all... 52 of uh, decoding the gurus. I listened to the first hour so far of the Robin D'Angelo decoding the gurus. That's episode 52. And. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, the first 20 minutes maybe or 30 minutes is him talking about how um oh here we go this so this is the post was actually on the sam harris sub so the post just says 
much has already been said about Lex Friedman's pathetic performance in yesterday's interview. But one more thing I think is telling is to look at who what Lex was the, specifically What was one he's talking about yesterday? What was, um, do you know what they're referring uh, the, yeah, yeah, this is um, Sam Harris appearing on Lex oh, okay. Friedman's So this podcast. is more recent. And this is, yeah, and this is on the Sam Harris subreddit. And he says, so, so he's saying, you know, like, look, he, de he defends uh, Kanye West, Elon Musk, Brett Weinstein, Joe Rogan, Trump, Jordan Peterson. But he's suspicious of the CEO of Pfizer, Bill Gates, Sam Harris, and Anthony Fauci. Uh, I hope this is the last time Sam associates with Lex. Um they seem that is they uh, Lex and Sam seem friendly, so it'll probably be a while before the cleavage happens. But it's very clear what audience he's playing to. The fact that he puts on such an act of impartiality while wanting to appeal to the conspiracy fringe indicates to me that he's aware of his dishonesty and not a worthwhile conversation partner. Hmm. I've got a question about um, you know that list of people that you gave me. I'm gonna have to go rewatch and kind of learn a little bit more about them but um are would you say that anyone on that list of people would be more conservative leaning um on which you mean on the back when we were talking about jordan peterson and uh what he's trying to do to religion you said there's other people doing it better oh yeah um eleanor stumpf is pretty conservative um don cupid probably a bit more socially progressive actually no idea about his economic views uh he actually i don't think he was a marxist or anything i don't know what he believed mm -hmm. um trying to remember who else i mentioned though um i think ian mills is probably pretty centrist to be honest though i don't know laura don't know but i suspect she's she's more like progressive um probably votes democrat in the u.s um Ari Ahmed, someone who i think is worthwhile taking seriously in philosophy of religion for the atheist side he's he's definitely quite conservative he's actually been on uh, jordan peterson's podcast interestingly but it was to talk about something it was to talk about free speech so Arif Ahmed, someone who talks about free speech a lot and i thought it was quite a shame that then Arif Ahmed wasn't having a conversation with Peterson about like ch maybe challenging him on some of his mm. um, religious claims because I think Arif is someone who is in a great position to do that. But instead, they were just talking about free speech stuff. Um, other people, like I think Roger Scruton has some interesting takes on religion. He's written quite a lot on conservatism as well. Um, a lot of like Islamic thinkers who are fairly conservative... I think have like great takes on things that are also like quite socially inclusive and tolerant because Sunni Islam is like a fairly inclusive and tolerant um, sect. It's just Shia Islam that tends not to be so much. Um, so I like I'm enjoying reading books on Islam by like a Prince Ghazi of Jordan, um, and he would be like a conservative thinker. I think it's worth taking seriously. Um, Sounds um, like my hypothesis was um, inaccurate then. I was just, I was hypothesizing that the reason that you like them is because they agreed with your political leanings, but it's sounding like there's people in there that but, probably don't remember agree politically I, and they, you still appreciate the way they look at um, philosophy of religion better than Jordan Peterson. So remember, I like politically, I consider myself like center right, to be honest. Um, and 
I mean, this obviously having like a political spectrum is hard and it means, sure. you know, like and I think it is different in cultures. the UK too. Yeah. Like then it's yeah, different cultures have different. Yeah. Where, so like I would consider um, like Joe Biden to be center. Right. You would not center. Right. I just said, right. Like I would consider Joe Biden to be center. Yeah. Really? Mm. Hmm. I don't. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because uh, I think most politicians, um, I, I definitely of of the like smaller government view of like wishing the government was smaller, at least more local. You know, just have. I think the more local it is, the more um, the more voice that people actually have over it. It seems weird that people in Washington D.C. decide things. You know. So I'm actually quite I, I'm quite a fan of decentralization and but I think like federal governance is also like necessary as well. I, yeah, I and I'm not I'm not same. Yeah. Like I'm not like an anarchist or anything. It's just mm. um But I'm a big fan of small communities having a, as much power as possible to mm. govern over themselves. And I like uh, economically I like uh, a model that's been put forward by someone called Kate Roweth called Donut Economics, which is um, about how communities can use their resources better to live sustainably um, as well. Yeah. Uh, socially, I'm pretty libertarian. Like, I don't, I don't really care what other people do. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of think generally, like, education, ed educational institutions are blinded by their progressive bias. Like, I think... Um, and Jonathan Heights done some research on this about the imbalance of conservative and progressives in higher education. And he's actually pointing to like, that's, this is like a real problem. Like just as an example, like I, I like the scientific method and it doesn't work unless you have people that actually disagree with you. Like it just doesn't, doesn't work well. And so, um, anyway, I feel like that bias is spilled out into like professional institutions and, and I think a lot of people that are more on the more progressive side, if I if they heard what I just said, would view that as like a conspiracy. Like it's not a conspiracy; it's just an observation of like. It's, I think that's a good hypothesis of kind of what's going on. And so, and when I say it's like spilled over into professional institutions, I'm saying most of the media people have gone through the educational system, and most, um, most uh political people have also gone through the uh, higher level education as well. And so anyway, I, when I say that, what, what does that make you think? <laughs> so again, it's not like something I've looked deeply into. I'm also, I am aware that like there are people who have provided criticisms of Jonathan Haidt's claims specifically, but I also know that, um, you know, more educated people, education does tend to correlate with like leading left politically right um and i mean there's different ways of explaining that <laughs> one one way of explaining it would be to say that the institution's biased and so it trains people to think that way um i basically explain it by thinking that education tends to make people more compassionate and more sensitive to um various concerns that might mean that they care more about the state being able to provide welfare or having strong institutions that um, can combat things like fascism, for example, um, and 
and I, th I think that that's what education does for a lot of people is it makes them just more sensitive to some more sort of like global concerns that m might be that that's how I explain why you see those differences in uh, like education level and where people tend to lean politically but um, obviously like another way of explaining that would be because the institutions themselves are just teaching people in a biased way though I think it I think that in a lot of courses there are sort of like attempts made to avoid bias in the way that people are like educated on these sorts of topics I mean I can I can speak from philosophy departments and courses that I've been involved in myself where the people lecturing and people I talk to who lecture make every attempt they can to mitigate um to, to present different perspectives fairly and allow students to come to their own conclusions I know people make similar attempts in teaching um things like uh economics and stuff like that but um yeah like maybe maybe um there is a bias in the way that it's being taught that I'm unaware of as well and that would change my mind well I guess my my biggest indicator of this is that like you are saying that Joe Biden is center and mm. I view him not as center so it's like if people feel like they're center but mm they're not like that's kind of a problem too like so maybe What's, those people yeah. that were trying to present it in a way that was unbiased or trying to represent people's views in a way that they would agree with they were still leaning one way right like and so then you start to get this weird view of what people think and then you run into yeah. someone that's actually middle america conservative and you're like what like I've never, I've never come across anybody that thinks like you before, right? Like they just, they don't interact with someone that actually thinks, I don't know if this is making sense. <laughs> no, I, th I think, so the reason that I would describe someone like Biden as center is because on what, I think that the type of um, spectrum of political views that I would advocate for accommodates people like, um, people like Joe Biden, but also people like Bernie Sanders, people like Putin, people like Hitler and Stalin and stuff, and like, your, you know, your typical middle American. I think that the way that Americans tend to view the political spectrum is kind of like a subset of the type of spectrum that someone like me is referring to, wherein there's like a whole host of basically socialist views that just don't exist as a part of that spectrum because they're not even considered to be live options because of the way so I th that, that is to say that i think american political discourse is like skewed to the right um hmm. I, can you give me an example of something that it, that joe biden could advocate for that would make him more left i guess like what would make him left and that might uh happen. Yeah, so maybe like universal basic income, um, types of regulation on markets, um, so moving towards like a more planned economy in various ar areas rather than like the markets governing the way that they function. Um, in terms some of like, markets are planned though, right? Like some where are, they set yeah, that's right. Prices. Like, I agree, and even under even under a conservative. But what I what I mean is, um, have to be a hundred percent wanting. Not not a hundred percent, not a hundred percent. But I'm talking about what things that left, aren't though? currently planned. 
well th moving like things that aren't currently if like that, again this is this is complicated yeah um so maybe like the the auto manufacturing industry but this is where it becomes complicated right because the government does subsidize certain things in certain ways um for for to in order to incentivize like businesses to operate in certain ways or to get to get up and running and stuff mm -hmm. but maybe maybe the government could essentially like get involved entirely in terms of like saying well look here's how many citizens need cars here's our capacity for industry this number of people have jobs here's how they're going to get paid and stuff like that rather than allowing so the market full-blown communism advocating for communism would make him left-leaning that would definitely move him to the left from where okay. he is yeah is but I, th I think there's like less radical yeah. definitely yeah definitely that's just the first thing left? that came to oh okay yeah yeah so um I would say like um, I consider communism pretty radical, so <laughs> maybe other people don't, but I do. So, so I think I think if he wanted like a, a nationalized health service, for example, um, I basically look at the list, that, right? Well, he he's fighting for um, the payments around the Medicaid thing. Um, well, given given that he was which ruler, isn't the same ruler supreme, I think he would want that. So. He there might a... want it, but it's not it's not a policy that he's actively pushing for um in his party. It's not on the table. What what they are currently pushing for is to maintain the um Medicaid payments or whatever, right? So but how they're is not that pushing center, for though? like that he's trying to get closer to what you just described. Well, so so, so wouldn't in, that make someone well, that... No. Um most conservatives in Europe um think that the state should provide free point of service healthcare. Oh, so that doesn't um, make someone left. It's a very, yeah, it's a very, no, it, it, it's more left. It, it moves someone relatively left, but it doesn't put someone in the left wanting that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if, so if he wanted that, it would move, if he was actively pushing for that in his party right now, that would move him more left than he currently is. But just wanting that does it, but someone could want that and still be right. It's because of the kind of like skewed part of the spectrum that the U.S. is looking at things from. I think. I guess I'm not. I'm still not quite understanding how he's center because I feel like a lot of those things that you described, he is trying to get closer to those things, which is why I would call him left, is because that's where he's trying to move the country is toward those types of things, versus a conservative would like. By your definition, I feel like everybody would be center. Like even Trump is center because he didn't successfully actually do the things that he said he wanted to do while he was campaigning well Ber bernie uh, sorry not bernie um biden has not said that he wants free point of service healthcare in the u.s he said that he wants to fight for to maintain the medicare bills that were established under obama right and that various republicans have been fighting to remove currently and that's been one of so so that's mm -hmm. different from that's that's different from him saying no i'm building um the american na national health service or whatever and mm -hmm. everyone will have free point of service done out of the ta done out of taxes healthcare so you would consider obama no, more left leaning then um because that's like definitely one of his big things was um obamacare which was yeah i'm just trying to think overall about like the re like oh, I, I pro like probably would um maybe i would i can't really remember a lot of stuff about obama to be 100 percent honest but mm -hmm. like yeah he prob probably was from what i um 
do remember. What would make Biden more conservative? Um, so deregulation of markets, um, not providing government help to like like during covid for example to like businesses and stuff like letting businesses fail more on their own perhaps um allowing more like trade allowing more like pollution of the environment not participating in like international agreements around reducing um carbon emissions or incentivizing companies to use cleaner or invest in cleaner technologies through government subsidies and things um and just letting the companies do what they want of their own accord. Um, it's sort of, it can, it can become difficult around foreign policy because that stuff's, very, you know, like you have right-wing takes that are very isolationist and right-wing takes that are very uh, pro-trade with other countries and similarly with like left-wing takes. So that, that becomes more, more difficult. Um, I think in terms of the social things that I would consider conservative, it would be more a kind of like preservation a, a more of a kind of like reverence for tradition and um the way things have been done historically an attempt to kind of like preserve some of those values and that way of life a bit more which might involve you know like more of a concern about about like guns and things right in america like being more pro um people having guns and having like those kind of like individual um rights to form like militias with weapons and things like that like those sorts of concerns that people have in the us hmm. would make him more right-wing in my view whereas obviously he's someone who thinks that um people shouldn't have uh as easy access to guns as they do hmm. okay we've been going for two hours i apologize um there is one more thing i am curious about if you're interested yeah, we can do one more thing. Don't worry. Okay. So, um, uh, the SE community kind of built up around Peter Bogosian's book of uh, what is it? How to make an atheist? A manual. Right? A manual for creating atheists. That's right. Um, what? It seems like there are plenty of uh, more. See, <laughs> there are people that are skeptical of all the political correctness stuff. And um, I, I guess, what are your, what are you thinking of that? Like, it, I, I noticed that you, you read someone that poked holes into Jonathan Hyde. Like, I think anybody can have holes poked through the things they've said, but it seems like you know about all of the people that have poked holes in people that are concerned about the illiberal part of like political correctness. Like, but you don't seem to think that's a problem, I guess the, that the the left is gone extreme or that it's illiberal in some way or that there's you don't see that problem right yeah I'm, I'm much more concerned about fascism in america than i am about like communism or like antifa or something like that right like uh, the fact the people who are have proto-fascist or pro-fascist views are the ones who actually stormed the Capitol building and the US has had a very hard time understanding how to respond to that or even prosecute any of these people in uh, the, the kind of aftermath. Um, and similarly with like major news corporations, um, 
I mean, it, okay, the legal case isn't decided yet, but promoting just complete patently false lies around voter fraud, for example, and that's the legal case that Dominion, the company who makes the voting systems, is is currently bringing against Fox News, but it is at least looking like Fox News is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, lose where people are being prosecuted for promoting um, positions that they were in a position to know stuff. were false anyway. Yeah. What's that? So, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how so just, when, just when more more directly in response to what you said oh sorry well, you, you just go. when you see that no, that's fine i think that answers kind of that that's getting there um when you see someone like peter bogosian who i'm sure you respect on a lot of the things he thinks and the way he um presents himself like what is it in him what what do you think he's seeing and jonathan height seeing and barry weiss and just a lot of these people that like honestly 10 years ago i would probably view them as a political opponent and they are they're concerned about something like what is it that they're concerned about i guess i mean i don't know so much in the case of like height in the case of um bogosian i'm not exactly sure what's happened i mean i think there were always problems um i i never was a big fan of a manual for creating atheists despite liking um some of the stuff that the street epistemology community does and i think i think that this comes across in the book right like there are there are a couple of stories in the book that i just think are like horrible things and insights into his psychology i haven't even so, read it so like, you might have well, what, to... one of which one of which is a woman asked him for change or something at a gas station and he thought that she was like a heroin addict and so he said you have to relate to people where they're at and he said he had a scar, has a scar on his stomach from an, having an appendix out of something. Can't remember what it, why he has a scar on his stomach. And he said he lifted up his shirt and pointed to it and said, like, the wife did this to me last time I was late home. And he was like, that's an example of being relatable and meeting people where they're at. And that just appealed, that just appeared to me as like super fucked up. Like, what, uh, what is even going on in your mind? And how have you weirdly dehumanized this other point? person to the point where you think that that's relatable the other thing i found weird was his story about i think his mum or his grandmother on her deathbed who um had like a crucifix and like wanted him to like say a, say a prayer for them as they were dying on their deathbed right and he was like basically boasting about how he wouldn't because he's so principled or whatever and it, again that just kind of like appealed to me as kind of fucked up there's a lot of stuff in that book where i just think it, he's like being an asshole and it's because he thinks that he's super, so rational and so much better than other people and actually like i don't know that he's got any points that are that good on any of the stuff that he's into like philosophy of religion or politics whatever the, the other thing I'd say is that a lot of the people who have um, become sort of IDW, alt-right types, um, they've kind of come from the new atheism movement in the 2000s, kind of in the aftermath of 9-11 and all that stuff that happened. That, and a lot of them, I, th I think you can see a kind of repeating pattern of a lot of them wanting to be seen as public intellectuals and kind of like ride the wave of these popular movements to make themselves the center of attention. I think there's a bit of that going on in Bogosian's case, um, for sure. Um, I also think he genuinely believes the things that he's seeing. I don't know why, I don't know how he's what is become it that, so- What is it that he's seeing? Like if, if uh, he were here and you were gonna say, yeah. I think this is what you're seeing, 
in a way that he would accept how would you how would you phrase what he's seen um so he would say that there is i i have to avoid using a word like cabal right where i i'm making the case that he's obviously making a, a kind of con a conspiratorial claim but that the the vast majority of people who are in um educational institutions for example have been overtaken by a world a worldview of critical race theory and that that is um shaping the way that they create their curriculums and teach the next generation of people such that their view of reality will be distorted and they will change all the values that make america great or something like that hmm. uh, how would he say that it's being distorted like what what is distorted about the way that they're teaching about race yeah, so he'd say it's not putting um, enough like emphasis on the individual. Um, it's not putting enough emphasis on the exchange of reasons and that it's basically just Marxism. Uh, he'd probably say that it's a type of pseudoscience with bad publishing standards because of the whole like grievance affairs things where... Um, lots of the kind of theory that gets published isn't very rigorous or isn't open to falsification as well um yeah i mean he, he'd have a bit more to say but i just can't remember right now guy who does a better job of addressing these things is aaron rabinovitz who i interviewed on uh crt panic where he because he spent a lot of his time explicitly like studying the kind of claims of Bogosian and addressing some of these concerns. Mm -hmm. So you, you're not even a little bit concerned about that at all. No, <laughs> I, I, I honestly only see it. The only people I see talking about it are people like Bogosian who are like tilting at windmills in my view and getting, I mean, they get, I think they get feedback like from their audience and it's very engaging for them and stuff. But I don't even think that Peter Bogosian understands like critical theory, right? Like I don't think he understands the claims that he he's disagreeing hmm. with. And you would say the same thing about James mm -hmm. Lindsay, right? That he doesn't understand critical theory either. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like the lectures that he's given um, to sovereign nations and um it called new discourses that youtube channel around critical theory and stuff like that is such a strange concoction of history of philosophy and political views and stuff with just all sorts being mixed in hegelian marxism uh like conspiracies about like groups of people like the world economic forum and their views and stuff and it's it's very 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 close to um the sort of like the jews uh behind it all and you know like um you, you think he Germany thinks that as well i don't know if he'd put it in exactly those terms so i don't know that he thinks exactly that i do think that he thinks that there are, is a kind of cabal of nefarious people in like the world economic forum who are plotting um like to replace the white race and to kill off like millions of people on the earth though i think he'd definitely commit himself to those claims i think he'd say that lots of them happen to be jewish 
but I don't know that it would be like explicitly anti-Semitic in the same way that like Nazi worldview was. So where it's like being a Jew came with like a bad essence, you know, there's like bad blood. I don't think he would be, he, it would be like that. It would just be a kind of coincidence that lots of them are Jews in his view. Hmm. So um, have you ever heard James Lindsay say something you agree with or have you ever um, like what, where would you say you agree with him? Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the stuff he says about maths <laughs> um, in terms of politically, I don't know that I really listen to, I only ever really engage with him when he's talking about this stuff. And I know I disagree with him about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are some more like mundane things we would agree on. I'm just mm -hmm. trying to think about what I know of his views. Right. Um, <clears throat> like for example, maybe we would have like similar views around like international um like migration of people or something mm -hmm. I, I don't know because i've just never really heard him talk about that but it's not inconceivable for me that he would like think sort of similar things to me like oh it can stimulate the economy in these ways but at certain times you want to encourage more like skilled laborers rather than unskilled and stuff. like i mean it's not inconceivable that that would be his take on that um i right? see uh, yeah but as far as his criticism of just the oh of like crt how, how, and stuff yeah, yeah how do you think he he could learn to understand crt better i think by um reading more of these philosophers on their own terms so a lot of a lot of the way that james lindsay and peterson come to understand these terms is through people who are expositing the that kind of worldview Mm -hmm. but like really badly so people who are like part of like the ayn rand institute like stephen hicks and his book postmodernism explained um is just like a complete bastardization of like what any postmodernism would commit themselves to he even calls hume and kant uh post like the original postmodern thinkers right i can't remember and... what you said about the debate between stephen hicks and oh what's that guy's name that he identifies as a postmodernist. Do you, do you ever see that debate? No, I'm not sure. Uh, what is his name? The Thaddeus Russell, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know about that. I did hear. I think I've I've remember you mentioning Thaddeus Russell once, and I remember someone saying something in a comment about Thaddeus Russell, but I don't know what well, it was. So, um, I I guess I was I was hoping you'd seen it because I was curious if you viewed Thaddeus Russell as like a true postmodernist. So that's what. No idea. That, that's yeah, that's the reason. So, um, so do you think that? But the like Hicks exposition, just to go into it a bit more, like it's just a complete fuck up. Like he characterizes the history of philosophy into like three key stages pre-modern which he characterizes by anti-intellectualism in which he includes thinkers like plato aristotle and thomas aquinas like medieval superstitious thinking um it it just not correct like thomas aquinas is one of the most thorough thinkers to have ever lived wrote like over something like seven million words um mm -hmm. 
and every every point that he makes the the method of disputation is incredibly rigorous where there's an assertion made and then there's counter arguments made and various rebuttals made to those counter arguments from reason from theology from empirical evidence from the senses um it, it's just that they didn't have as much information as we have now through the various like experiments and things that we've been able to do to manipulate nature that they came to very different conclusions. I would, I don't think, do you think he thinks that they are, because they, he classifies them as pre-modern, that means that he doesn't think they have anything of value to say? Not that they don't have anything of value to say, but what he does claim is that they're super, they're superstitious and anti-intellectual, Right. What's, um, an, what's anti-intellectual? What was his definition of that? So, well, I'm not sure what his definition is exactly, but I mean, it's pretty clear that it means people that aren't fond of thinking. And given his characterization of the Enlightenment thinkers who he wants to contrast against those thinkers as being people who deployed reason to figure out the truth, right? Hmm. Um, it seems like they're against that. They don't want to use reason to figure out the truth. Hmm. Well, given that um, I disagree with some of the way you framed some of the people I already think about. I, I could I could see that the way you're framing that would be... I have to take your word on it, though, because I haven't read any mm. anything there. Um, well, I mean, there's I, I've got a one-and-a-half-hour video on the first chapter of his book, but other people have done reviews of um, his book bringing up similar things. It's widely understood in academic philosophy circles to be, like, one of, like, like just an insane misrepresentation of the history of philosophy as a book but hmm. yeah interesting i guess i kind of was having this thought while you were talking about james Lindsay and just how you you're saying that the way he's framing it is just bizarre and conspiratorial and stuff hmm. and i guess what would it take for you to be convinced of that conspiracy do you think um i would have to believe in hegelianism Hegel. Yeah, uh, some view that, uh, I, again, what is Hegel's view? I don't know that Lindsay exactly knows, but um, that Geist is working itself out through the grand arc of time. That seems to be a, a, a key component of Lindsay's view. Uh, I'd have to believe in some that kind he, of... He believes that? This is, Yeah, this is part of... Um, the way that he has come to understand, um, like, postmodernism. Oh, 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 you're saying you're, he's trying to show that the postmodern, or at least the postmodern doesn't make sense when you say, because um, the way I understand postmodern is that, like, there is no reality, there is no truth, like, it, we're post, like. Thinking. Well, that's not really what, I mean, I'm, I'm a postmodernist, and that's not what I would say. It is. Oh, um, what is it then? Like a series of of methods that are just critical of um, series of methods that are critical about the types of language that we use um, in our in our discourses, both because of the historical origins of uh, of those languages and the way that they currently fit into our um, into our linguistic systems. So it sounds like you would like, not I, agree with Thaddeus Russell then, because that's how. The way I just described it is kind of how Thaddeus Russell describes postmodernism. Yeah. Like there is no grand narrative. Like, uh, yeah, that would be, we're all like, uh, it's all a social, it's all a social construct of like, 
what happened before us has led to here kind of a thing, but there is no like reason why we're going anywhere. There's no like, um, well, those would be sort of claims that you could agree with, I think, and be so like, there is no grand narrative, possibly something I'd agree with. And a lot of postmodernists would agree with, mm -hmm. um, language is socially constructed, something I agree with and possibly most postmodernists would agree with, um, there's nowhere we're going uh, that's kind of a bit harder like i think i'm going somewhere so um <laughs> well not not in a there's there's not like not in a a neoplatonist type of way right like it's, yeah yeah sure that, having that kind of grand narrative doesn't yeah, make sense but i think that type modernist. of way is unintelligible so that would be my view <laughs> uh yeah so i just yeah, I guess when I'm listening, to, I, I so as far as, as far as philosophy goes, I feel like I'm I'm terrible at details. And when people explain things, I feel like I'm okay at like understanding big picture stuff. And so I can follow people better than I can like re-explain it, for example. Okay. And so I feel like I I can follow James Lindsay what he's saying, um, and it makes sense. And yeah. I guess I I see. I have the same worries, but then I also, um, my husband, he helps me like bring me back. He's like, just live your life though. Like listen to Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson just says like, do what you can in your life. Like, why are you worried about that huge big picture thing? And I'm like, yeah, that's true. And so then I, I try to just stay grounded in my own reality, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but like, it, it's not absurd to me to think that I can see the parallel. A lot of people make the parallel with like the Chinese cultural revolution with kind of the same thing that James Lindsay's pointing at. Like you say you see fascism and that like being a, a very possible, like a very um, real possibility. I don't mm. not see that, but mm. I also see this other one. And so I don't know what to make mm. of that either. Like, it's not that. So who, which side of the spectrum do you think went into the Capitol building and tried to capture and kill governing officials um, doing an important process in the US political system for the handover of power? Who do I think did that? Yeah. I, I think a mob did that, yeah. Like, the... Do you think that that mob had any particular political leanings? Well, yeah, they were conservatives. <laughs> and that's why for me, I... For me, that... By the way, I just admitted yeah. that I agree that that's a problem. Like I know, but I'm what I'm saying is when you say I see them both equally as problems... Not equally. What would you say? Okay. Um, I see them both as potential problems. Okay. I, so I think I see them both as potential problems as well but I see one as disproportionately more of a problem than the other. So mm. they're still both potential problems, no, but just that. not equally. Okay. So. Um, see, I guess my thing is, is I feel like the, the, the institutional power is more, more, way more on one side. Um, but I also recognize that you poke a bear long enough and it's a bunch of people that also probably have, the ability to create their like i mean to create their own revolution right like 
that there's 50% of the country that's feeling this way, I think that there's a possibility of that too. And I, I think humans tend to be really tribalistic. And so I don't put it past anyone to do a lot of violent things. That scares me. Like, but I wouldn't say that, uh, that violence is non-existent on one side or the other. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, do you think I would say it's non-existent on one side or the other? Well, you're obviously you're more concerned about the conservative side of things. But as as for the claim said... that viol as for the claim that it was alleged that I might believe that it's non-existent on one side or the other, do you think I would affirm that? No, obviously there's there's violence on the other side too. I don't think you deny that. But you don't think it's yeah, a problem. Yeah, that's right. No, I, I mean, I think it's a problem too, right? Sorry, when, you don't think it's yeah. a scalable problem, as scalable as the fascist problem? I, I think it's disproportionately a right-wing problem, right? Um, it's not to say it's not a problem on the left. It's not to say that when it happens on the left, it's not terrible. It's not to say that there isn't a concern I would have about, like, radical, le if radical leftists were able to gain power. Mm -hmm. Though the the actual um, credible threat that I see, the, mo the most probable threat, comes from the right in the U.S. I think if Trump's re-elected, it will threat be absolutely... Threat of what, I guess? Let's make sure... Threat, threat of fascism. Things. Threat threat of fascism, of actual fascism. Authoritarianism. In the United States. Not, ju not just authoritarianism. I'm talking about like actual fascist values in the society, changing the laws, changing the way that that society operates. Um, in order to be like a fascist state that has, hor you know, enemies, treats people horribly, people pe people who aren't on the in group, um, has a whole mythology around like blood and soil, basically, and the the getting back to the way of the ancients and uh, all the, that sort of stuff. So, the, do do you think the people that trespassed on the Capitol building, do you think that um, they were like a hundred percent fascist, or like ten percent fascist, or like what? I don't know that this. I I I don't know. Like I don't even know, like what you're exactly asking me. Like, but okay, any, the values that you just, the values just said that you're worried about. In order for the country to like enact laws like that, you'd have to have someone voting for those laws you'd have to yeah, have but what i'm saying is i don't know what it means for a crowd to be 90 percent fascist like i don't understand that they, so that they would want that the they want that me. that they want that yeah but i don't government. i don't know what that what what you mean when you say that they would want that right like i do you mean like if you said do you want the country to be fascist they would say yes or do you mean if you said I think we need to like get back to this set of values or something. They would say yes, right? Yeah. Um, what set of values then do you I think, think they would pro be proponents for that you would call fascist? That they would say um, yes, I want this, and you would say that's fascist. So um, I think it would be like getting back to the good old days, um, some element of like subjugation of women and patriarchy and stuff like that. Pa patriarchal head of the family, the nuclear family. So you um, think they would like enact laws that would say women can't work in the workplace? 
and they not would that be women, for no, that. not that women. No, I don't think it would be laws that women can't work, but I think it would be probably strongly socially discouraged because the function of you know, if you look at like the kind of rhetoric that comes out of people like Matt Walsh, um, you know, the function of a woman is to be like pregnant and barefoot. Um, so your definition of fascism is when something is socially pressured to do something. I thought uh, fascism no. was that it was the state that was enforcing these types of things. Well, fascism is a confusing polysemous term, right? So I'm I'm going to be reticent. <laughs> so I'm going to be reticent to provide you with an essentializing characterization of fascism. Um, but what I am happy to do is sort of help you if you don't understand the way that I'm using the term, right? But I, d I don't think that there is going to be any um, like correct essentializing characterization of it because i don't think that these terms are like ha have like necessary and sufficient conditions i think they're clusters of phenomena and properties that have a family resemblance and people study those things politically they study them sociologically and they study them psychologically and so a lot of these things become like markers for, th for a society or a political system becoming fascist but they're not uh, necessary and jointly sufficient because you can have lots of them without some of them and something still be fascist right there's there's examples of fascist societies like sparta and uh under under Lycurgan law and uh, germany under adolf hitler and you can find things that are definitely fascist about those societies but that neither that the societies didn't have in common so for example um, leaving babies out um, to perish from nature if they had deformities, right? That that was something that was done in Sparta. It was definitely part of their fascism under Lycurgan law. It wasn't done in Nazi Germany. So that's something that's fascist, and if society is doing that sort of thing, you might think, well, that's a kind of marker or a red flag for fascism or something. But it's not a necessary condition. What What's the fear of fascism like? Um... I'm not saying that fascism is good. I'm trying to understand when you say, I fear that you, they're going yeah. to become fascist. Like what would that look like in, what would that look like? Again, go back to like yeah. a law or, or maybe not a law. Well, okay. Here, maybe here's a law like criminalizing gay marriage in the U S. Uh huh. And you think that the people that stormed the Capitol I, I guess I don't, how, how do I word this? I don't feel like I'm trying, I'm trying to, when I, I remember following on Twitter, January 6th, right? And I went, and that was an eye opener for me because I was like, conservatives don't do this. Like they're supposed to be like they've, they've been all against Antifa and all of this, the riots that they've been involved in, like, why are they doing this? And so um, I was really disappointed. I was disappointed that anybody would be willing to participate in that. And, and it made me realize that this mob thinking can happen anywhere. Like there isn't like some line between conservatives and progressives that say you're good people and you're bad people. Like there are, um, people that are 
doing things that are uh, illiberal on both sides, right? And it, it just it made me realize the danger of of that, right? My fear of like the left side of things is that uh, we just it's it's like more like a slow burn type of a thing. It's not like I don't know. I don't know what I'm worried about actually. Cause like when I think of my daily life, I can't see anything happening quickly, <laughs> but, um, but it, it bothers me that things keep moving towards something that seems illiberal to me. Like I, I like the idea of like John Stuart Mill type liberalism, right? Is that, is that mm-hmm. making sense a little bit? Like, I think we're, I mean, I've heard lots of people in the IDW say this, right? I don't, I just don't always know that they know what they mean by it. Um, hmm. So you don't, like if I, you don't understand. I, like since, no, I, I understand. Like <laughs> yeah, that's what it, so I've heard since 2008, right? Like I've listened to Sargon of Akkad say, I'm a classical liberal. What I mean by that is a John Stuart Mill liberal. And I've heard this a million times since then mm-hmm. from Constantine Kit through to Constantine Kissin now, who's on, the upshot from Jordan Mm -hmm. Peterson, from Sam Harris and others. But um, I I, I mean, I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of content there beyond like I'm all for like individuals having lots of rights, maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. And and again, I don't know that that's in conflict with what, uh, like just that isn't in conflict with what a lot of proponents of like CRT would want as well. Um, So... I, I, I don't know what actually there is. Like, really. That's what James Lindsay does is he goes and he, the proponents of a lot of that stuff, he will quote them and he he's convinced that they're definitely like aiming towards some kind of communist utopia. Even though you would never yeah. actually get there, you would just constantly be deconstructing the whole time. You would never actually reach utopia, but the... I mean, like, so, so even like that thing you just said... That sounds like a thing that you've learned from like him or someone, right? Like, even though you'd never get there, you'd constantly be deconstructing. And I just have no idea what. Oh, that actually, I sense. I sense that in my life, actually. This idea, it's something I actually, it it gives me pause because it's like, I feel like uh, it's really easy to criticize stuff, but it's a lot harder to actually build something up. That's something that I've seen and seen myself, and I, I guess I've heard echoes of that from other people too but 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 what do you think you actually mean by that right what i mean by that is it's really easy to like tear stuff down it's a lot whenever i try to come up with like some kind of positive claim my immediately uh i have like a cynical or critical point of view that can like tear it right down like so all i'm saying Mm -hmm. is like you almost have to like take a, a leap of faith and in some way to make some kind of positive claim to like direct your life even like I, I'm talking about this but, in, but in how a does, very personal way. Yeah, but, but but I just don't understand what this has to do with postmodernism, like or or with socialism, or like like I just don't get it. Like, okay, I think that the NHS should be better funded. Like, what's that got to do with me? Like having the like tearing things down. I don't want to. What mm. do I want to tear down? Like the 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 Tory cabinet's like stupid economic plan that doesn't fund the NHS very well. I want to build up good 
hospitals with like good uh, electronic record keeping systems that aren't running on Windows XP and vulnerable to security exploits. Like I, I don't understand. Like mm. I just don't understand how this. You know, like this oh, is like almost like a. You don't see it as you don't you don't see it as like corrosive or anything. It's like a it's like one of these Jordan Peterson theological type things, right? Where you're talking about like at this personal level, the line between good and evil runs down the heart of every man type. But then it's somehow in your mind it's connected to this like justification for rejecting postmodernism and like more socialist type political theories. And I just don't understand the connection. Like for me for, for me it's just not it's not connected at all. Mm-hmm. Even if it's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to get you any closer. Like I've thought about this for a long time and I was like, I think this is how I can explain it to him by asking these questions. And yeah, I am. Do you not think it could be like a prejudice though? (laughs) Do you you not think it could be like a prejudice though? Where maybe you're like, well, people, um, you know, people should try and build stuff and not just be like negative Nancy's or something. Like maybe that's like oh, the thought, sure. right? That's good. Like I don't, I don't want to be like my, that. That's definitely my personality, so it, very possible. Like, but then do you not think you might just think, be kind of projecting could, that onto political groups you don't like and going, well, they're all just like negative Nancy's or something, rather than maybe like finding out if they are or like so, so someone like Bernie Sanders, right? I think he has a really positive. Uh, vision of building up America and building a lot of stuff I don't even think he's like that he, he he's not like full of vitriol at all he's had a he's worked incredibly hard throughout his political career mm-hmm. um I highly recommend people listen to the interview with him on the rest of his politics with Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart um and yeah just doesn't sound like a negative Nancy type at all like very very positive optimistic uh hard-working and I just don't understand, like, how you know, if, the, if this connection is supposed to be there, how is it he can be like that and yet have these um, sort of, like, socialist economic views? Right? Hmm. I guess there just seems to be, like, this, uh, I think it's called critical consciousness, where you um, you just see how things are racist in your life and you see how, um, you, you know, does that... Is that ringing a bell? Did you did you listen to the decoding the gurus, um, Robin D'Angelo? The one on, I kind of find that one boring, so I stopped. <laughs> yeah, they get into in the middle part of it where I felt like they actually like it, it. Honestly, as I'm watching it, I would, from my perspective, I was like, I feel like, um, I feel like they were being easy on her. But that makes sense because they, they probably are, they don't agree with me, with my worldview. So that makes sense. But um, but they managed to hit on a few things that um, I liked a lot. And I guess I just view the that kind of, there's no pushback against like the Robin D'Angelo's, really. And there is... Is that not what they were doing though? Like... Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. but you don't hear um, you doing that, right? You don't hear, um, you, you, you'll get on there and you'll, they're, they're talking about a problem that is there and it just seems to be hidden because it's like, it's almost mainstream now. Like, 
I, I, I uh, hang out with uh, this group called Three Practices, and they have come, most of them are left-leaning, and I think a lot of them are actually Christian, so a lot of them are, like, totally different than me, but um, they, they would, uh, I think, mostly agree with Robin D'Angelo, and so, and then they take in a lot of that kind of religiosity of it, too, and that's kind of what they were decoding. They were just kind of saying, hey, even if you agree with the end point here, she's using some tactics here that you would see also in mm -hmm. religious paradigm, right? Um, anyway, I'm trying to think of why I went there. I don't, I don't know, like, maybe you would disagree with that, because I'm, I'm guessing that decoding the gurus, you don't agree with 100%. So maybe you would disagree with their criticism. Not 100%. Her. I think, well, it, like, like I said, I didn't really listen to that episode because I just found it boring. Like, I like I said, I, I think I just don't view, I don't think that it's like a genuine problem, right? Like people, I I don't like a lot of people who have very extreme uh, left-wing views. I think there's a lot of, so, so I'm like very pro um, like trans rights, trans healthcare, very pro like um reform of the police in the u.s to i you know i think there's like systematic racism against black people and stuff but i also think there's a bunch of like grifty weirdos with horrible views who you know like talk about these topics like um trans issues or you know like black people's problems in america and stuff and just have really crap hot takes um but I just don't think they're, they're, they're ma that much of a problem um, mm -hmm. that I sort of care to spend a lot of my time in. What I do see being a problem in the kind of communities that I am immediately a part of is people going down like right-wing conspiracy theories, becoming anti-vax, becoming climate change deniers, um, believing in like great replacement theory, believing the World Economic Forum's out to get people and stuff like that. So that's the stuff I sort of tend to focus on, I think, just because... Mm -hmm it's the thing that is having an impact in my life. Maybe if there were more people around me who were pushing like the left wing grifty nonsense, I would care about it more and have like more of an incentive to do something about it. But it just isn't like ever a problem in my life. I encounter lots of people, like like I train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, right? I encounter a ton of people who, for whom like Jordan Peterson or Andrew Tate or someone has like pushed them into a whole bunch of like weird, beliefs and like they don't believe that the vaccine works and think covid's a hoax and stuff what i don't find ever is anyone who's like listened to so much critical race theory that they're like i don't know fit call me whitey or something because they think i need to pay reparations for all the damage like i it's just not a real problem I ever encounter, whereas I do actually encounter like the the opposite one. So that's the one I kind of deal with in my life. Hmm. That makes sense. That's fair. I think that's probably um, the thing that gives me the most comfort is like, even though I'm worried about those things, like when I stop and like look around my life and stuff, it's like, it's running yeah. quite fine. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Absolutely. like, so I, I get the concern because some, some of the things that some of those people say are like pretty fucked up nasty things, right, about like mm -hmm. how they would want to treat white people or whatever. And it does seem that a lot of people weirdly give it a free pass. But I just think mm -hmm. it's like, you know, when Depending those people on which storm the Capitol building, 
yeah so when those people storm the capitol building like then but like look at how the difference there is between giving like a talk to some students at a university campus right and like that which a political sect seems to actively have done in the u.s and still you know like trump's running for presidency again right like... hmm. yeah well i think it's been a good conversation thanks for your time thanks for going for less so long too yeah it's all right no problem marty thanks for preparing questions and thanks yeah have a good night you too see you around bye see ya